Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove and I'm joined by a man who knows better than to go camping in January. His name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hello. Not only that, I know better than to go camping, period. <laughs> really? You're not, not a big <laughs> No, no. I'm not like that. I'm not Tom Haverford from Parks and Rec. No, I will go camping, but you are correct. January, less appealing. Apologies to our friends in Minnesota. I look forward to their letters. Oh, they know not to go camping in January. They probably right. do, actually. They know probably better than most not to go camping in January. <laughs> so our clever listeners may have figured out that we are here to talk January camp. <laughs> so we, uh, we did the um, quick roster reaction, right, when Greg Berhalter's 25-man January camp mm-hmm. roster was revealed. That shows back in the feed if you yeah. want to go listen to it. Um, but we thought that um, there were some lesser-known names in this roster, especially if you're um, not sort of a big soccer nerd like we are and watch all the youth players play. Mm-hmm. So we thought we'd do a sort of get-to-know-the-lesser-known players episode of the Total Soccer Show. Get these to guys, know your new friends. Get to know your new friends, because some of these guys could be senior U.S. national team players by February 1st. Sure. By the evening of February 1st, <laughs> after that game against Costa Rica. I guess Rica. technically you are correct. That is right. Yes, yes. If I they am. make an appearance, then they are. Yep. Um, Daryl's so, favorite kind of correct. A quick refresher on this mm. roster, though. It is, it's interesting, right? It's January yep. camp, which means very few European-based players, almost none. Only Ulysses Janez in this case, because he was available. And Christian Kappis. Christian Kappis, yeah. But I believe they're on their winter break as well, because Scandinavia is cold. It also, sure don't go camping in January there. The, terrible place to camp. Uh, yeah, the Scandinavians might go camping because they know how to handle it. Yeah. But I, I would not go camping in Scandinavia in the winter. They've got the gear. They do. They've got Plus, the I've, gear. Tra- I've seen Trollhunter, um, and I don't trust it. So this January camp, it's a lot of MLS players, but it's also a lot of... What I think is going to be a lot the, the core of the U23 mm-hmm. Olympic qualifying roster. It's a yep. really interesting roster. Maybe later in the show we'll get into the odd makeup of this roster, <laughs> which I actually feel quite positive about. Yeah. I think it's a, a good step I forward. think we will because we've got some Twitter questions that yes. we've solicited. Uh, so we're going to do sort of get to know your new players. Then we're going to answer some <laughs> questions. And we'll see how long we go. Then we've got some news at the end about various youth teams as well. Yeah, we do. Mm-hmm. Some U20 hires for the yep. men's and women's uh, national teams. Mm-hmm. All right, should we get to it then? Um, we're not going to get into the goalkeepers. Equally good hires. Equally good hires. Just kidding. <laughs> some have better win percentages yeah. than others. Yeah. Um, so uh, the goalkeepers are Bill Hamid, Sean Johnson, JT Martinkowski, and Matt Turner. I feel like most people will know enough about those guys, and we only ever have so much to say about goalkeepers. I think right? we did get one tweet saying, I can't wait for you to break down uh, the new goalkeepers. I think we had another tweet that asked uh, if there was going to be like a spot, like a battle for the number two spot. Our answer is uh, we're not going to, and maybe. So Zach Steffen is the number mm-hmm. one. I would say Sean Johnson. No, Brad Guzan is the number two. Yes. Or Brad. the code number one. So there's not really a battle for And that. would be in this camp. We're probably going to repeat this a couple of times. Brad Guzan would have been here, as would have Miles Robinson and Brooks Lennon. Atlanta declined that. Yep, so then we no. would have Brad Guzan. So then that would probably be, oh, we've got the number two. Then there's maybe a battle for the number three spot between everybody else that's there. <laughs> everybody else that's mm-hmm. there, including Bill Hamid, who's yep. got the chance to prove that he is as good as those other men's national team players as he claims. Newly of DC United, formerly of DC United, and also formerly of DC United. <laughs> yes. So let's get to the defenders. Let's do it. Um, your defenders, I'm going to give the full list, but then we'll, we'll spotlight one, mm-hmm. two, three, four, five of them, okay? Julian Araujo, Reggie Cannon, Chase Gasper, Justin Glad, Aaron Long, Mark McKenzie, Sam Vines, and Walker Zimmerman. These are the guys called up. I want to start with getting to know Julian Araujo. Let's do it. Um, so a lot of... Uh, Galaxy fans, mm-hmm. LA Galaxy fans will be familiar with Araujo. If you watch the youth national teams, you might be familiar with Araujo. He is an up-and-comer. He's an 18-year-old right-back who can play centre-back, but I'm pretty confident he's on this roster and on the U23 roster as a right-back, right? Back, right? Mm-hmm. Um, here's a quick background on him. He played 18 games for the LA Galaxy um, last season. That is not bad for an 18-year-old getting a bunch of experience, okay. right? The Galaxy was so keen to get him that even though he was in their academy, he's not a homegrown player. 
you know the story behind this? Mm-mm. So he was also at the Barcelona Residency Academy for a little bit before, which meant that by the time the Galaxy wanted to get him in the first team, mm-hmm. he hadn't been with their academy long enough to be a homegrown player. Ah. So they waived him, put him on the waiver, which is like a sort yep. of free transfer, right? You go on the waiver wire or whatever it's called. The Rapids were top of the waiver wire. The Galaxy then paid the Rapids <laughs> 50000 in TAM oh my gosh. to make sure that the Galaxy could then sign Julian Araujo. And that is testament to, one, how hilariously complicated Major League Soccer is. Mm-hmm. Two how good the LA Galaxy are at working the system, and three, how much they wanted Julian Araujo, which is really the point here. The Galaxy might be the best team in terms of working the system, but yeah. also like bullying the system at the same time. Mm-hmm. I think they're very good at that. That's one point. My second point... Well, they put a horse's head in Colorado's bed as well. Yeah, that'll do it. That'll do it. <laughs> that'll get the job done. Um, but also, uh, today, we're recording this on the, day, on the day of the 2020 MLS Super Draft. Yes. And there was the moment... Is uh, it still a Super Draft? Uh, it still is a Super Draft, despite being a conference call okay. that is televised online. It should be an, uh, the MLS normal draft. And that's not televised. Uh, it should be. The MLS normal draft. Uh, but one of the players, uh, I forget who it was, uh, basically was drafted by New England and instead given an Orlando scarf. And we had a tweet from somebody saying, like, no, I think in MLS rules that means he is now an Orlando <laughs> player, that he's been claimed. And it's telling that I was sort of like, that might be a rule. Like, whoever puts a scarf on him first wins. That's It's a, it's a gold rush. you got to stake your claim. I mean, I would watch that draft. You've got to chase him down and excellent. put a scarf on him. Yeah, you get your fastest executive and you've got to chase down a college soccer player. I mean, yeah, I would watch that draft too. <laughs> <laughs> um, but if you're watching Julian yeah. Araujo, yeah, um, as I have been, because this is it, right? I've watched a lot of footage. I want to let our listeners know what to look out for with Julian Araujo. Um, this is a guy who is not big, right? He's not some big monster of a teenager. He's only five foot nine. Um, but he is strong and he is not afraid to use his body. And he's pretty smart about doing it. And I'm talking, again, only 18 years old. Mm-hmm. But this is a kid who knows how to play against pros and do little things like hip checks that aren't fouls but do knock the other person mm. out of the way, right? Yeah. This is the thing that has impressed me about Araujo is he already knows, you could call it the dark arts or you could just call it how to be a pro. Yeah, I think, you get what I'm saying? I, think, I think that's the title of the book, How to Be a Pro or The Dark Arts, yeah. whichever one you want to go with there. Yeah. <laughs> so he's great at those little hip checks, using his strength in a way that doesn't get him in trouble but does get mm-hmm. him the ball. He's not so great in terms of you know defensive right-back stuff at decision-making. Well, then he, he, just, will. he fits right in with, with, with the rest of our, <laughs> of our right-back options. But he is thrilling mm-hmm. but also dangerous in terms of he will go charging out and try and get to a ball first. He will... Um, like overrun Mm -hmm. when attempting to tackle a player and get sidestepped but here's why that was it isn't bad enough to disqualify him from being a a first teamish player Mm -hmm. in major league soccer once he gets sidestepped he then runs you down yeah and knocks you over or you know what i mean or put at least puts a shoulder in your back or something so he's like not making the best decisions but he is competitive and physical enough to always make up for it defensively genuine question did you do you feel like you could say that about a lot of the players that you previewed because I, I I do think I don't think I necessarily have it in the notes but that was a thing that stood out to me from a couple of the players that I'm talking about about like oh even when he gets beats or gets beaten he will sprint beats by dre headphones when he gets those <laughs> then he runs really hard no uh, that he will sprint back like 30 yards or yep. his teammate is dispossessed I've, I felt like there was a lot of hard work that mm-hmm. definitely at times made up for a lack of like big game uh, awareness yep. or familiarity. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think All that's right. fair. Um, Araujo, I think this is what you get when you have young players. Exactly, yeah. Mm. Um, and young pros who are looking like they're going to be something. Awesome. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, Araujo, also not afraid to get forward at all. He's got some wheels, so he will join an attack quickly and provide provide width. He's not scared to go at someone. Um, you know, can like not like he's a wonderful crosser, but he'll, he'll get down there, uh, get a cross in. Mm-hmm. So, 
I mean, I think we have plenty of right backs for the senior men's national team, right? But to have an 18 year old who could be a U23 right back um, training with the senior team and possibly playing first team football for the LA Galaxy in 2020, um, I'm pretty excited about this guy. Even with those little mistakes, yeah. which are kind of like 18 year old mistakes to overcommit, those things always get better with professional minutes. So, two questions for you yeah. uh, that I feel like might be useful for listeners as well. First off, you said you, he could be a center back, could be a fullback. I mean, sounds he like has you're thinking been. he'll be a right back. I mean, yeah, he, play, he has played right back a bunch mm-hmm. for the LA Galaxy, uh, not least because uh, Felcher had a, a couple of injuries mm-hmm. last year, so he was the only right back available yeah. for the Galaxy uh, for a little while. I think he's played centre back, like maybe, I think it was in the LA Galaxy Academy and maybe for some US youth teams. Five foot nine, I'm not sure, like at a senior level, he's going to be playing too much centre back. Who are we playing on February 1st again? Costa Rica. It's Costa Rica. Yeah. Right. And so, the, oh, the imaginary game that you imagined against El Salvador? Yeah. That imaginary game is not happening. Okay, it's cool. only the one game against Costa Rica. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, so, in, so if he were playing that game against Costa Rica, I'm, I'm assuming then your answer would be that you're expecting him to play right back if he were to play. Absolutely. Okay, so yeah. he'd be the, 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 my, the other option is Reggie Cannon, who, if you're picking the most yeah. likely to win a game team, right. It's Reggie Cannon. Right. right. But yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm not saying he will. I'm just saying, like, if you were going to put him in there, because that's kind of how I went about this, was yeah, sort yeah. of looking at, like, okay, where is this player going to fit in if they were to play? Oh, yes, of course. And that's yeah. a very smart way for us to preview this roster for our listeners, right? Yeah, if he were to play against Costa Rica, he would definitely play right back. Okay. And yeah. then and then my other question that I have, which I didn't really plan ahead of time, but I'm realizing maybe this is the other one that would be useful, is that if you were going to explain him to a person who is unfamiliar with this roster, unfamiliar with him as a player, would you say right now he is a, like, potential national t- national team player in 2020 would you say he's a potential u23 player or would you say he's a third category of kind of other things that combine potential u23 player cool. for olympic qualifying in march slash april gotcha. if we were weak at right back he'd mm-hmm. be a potential right back but we've got yedlin yeah. and dest and yep. possibly tyler adams mm-hmm. and reggie cannon and the list goes on nick lima's somewhere in there still nick lima's somewhere in there but yep. not in this january camp. not in this january camp mm-hmm. <laughs> interesting interesting uh anything else to say about mr arajo or as felipe cardenas and juan carlos Osorio would call it araujo i believe is how you oh, say it if you're colombian yes i learned that when i was last talking to felipe well both of those gentlemen speak better spanish than i do but it's, so I'm it's, guess no, but it's the colombian pronunciation oh, I see. yes right. i think it's araujo uh, if it's mexican if it's colombian that it's araujo mine was the english west midlands it. pronunciation yours is uh, i think the most correct <laughs> 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 Who else do we need to know from this roster? Uh, well, if we're talking fullbacks, let's talk uh, Chase Gasper, 23-year-old oh, yeah. left-footed left-back from Minnesota United. Okay. We've talked about him previously yeah. when he was in camp once, I believe. Yes, he mm-hmm. was in camp briefly in November, yeah. but then not on the final roster, I don't think, uh, for when the U.S. played Canada and Cuba. I yeah. mean, zero appearances so far and zero goals, which does tend to correspond, which means, yeah, at least at the very least he didn't play. Yeah. Uh, but we maybe will expect to see him in these games because I do think that in terms of those categories, I just gave you. Uh, he is 23 years old. My guess was that if we see him again, it would be with the national team this year. He's yeah. not a U23. No, he's he's not a like whatever else type yep. of call-in. Um, and that makes sense because last season was his breakout season. Uh, and it kind of is justified when you look at everything he did on the field. Uh, he made aggressive, frequent attacking runs. You remember a lot of our conversation I with do. Chief Gasper. Yeah, yeah. we watched too. the footage back in November, right? Yes. Yeah. And, uh, and so 
I'm very interested to see how he gets utilized if he ends up playing because he can do a defensive job. Don't get me wrong. He did a good job against Latin. I thought playoffs. he was pretty solid defensively when we watched the footage. But he's very aggressive getting forward. He yeah. makes a lot of good runs out of the back. He will take players on. He likes that sort of getting past that last defender and then whipping in that low cross just in front of the six-yard box. Yep. Quarter of uncertainty, if you will, mm-hmm. if you want to go Adam Hurry-style cliches. <laughs> uh, in America, it's called the hallway of uncertainty. <laughs> it's called the hall pass of uncertainty. <laughs> <laughs> Forgot about the corridor hallway situation. Um, but yeah, so so I think he is a very good attacking fullback. Mm-hmm. But that is not something we've seen Greg Berhalter utilize when that, with that left back spot, at least not regularly. Yeah. So how Chase Gasper is utilized, if he's utilized at all, that's a thing I'm going to be paying attention to. The other thing I'm looking forward to watching is his defensive contributions because he is literally a hands-on defender. Uh, he like grabby? He always makes physical contact. It seems like that is his primary way of defending, not like yeah. shoving or beat, but it's just sort of he always wants to be in an arm's reach if he's getting into any sort of does he, situation. Does he get called for a lot, or is it like no. Araujo where he's, he knows where the line is? I think he knows where the line is. Admittedly, it was like MLS playoffs was one of the games I was watching, so maybe some things allowed to let, or like like right before the MLS playoffs, so like maybe some things were being let go because uh-huh. it's near the end of the season, what have you. His opponents but, weren't being let go. But I, no, they were not. Uh, but there wasn't a lot of like really obvious shoves in the back. Yeah. Uh, professional fouls. It was just more so like nuisance defending, nuisance hassling defending. defending. Like and he it. seemed he seemed pretty solid at that. Uh, so I look forward to – basically, if you're looking for a thing to watch from him, you can watch for a lot of hands-on defending and a lot of aggressive running. My memory of when we watched the footage back in November, mm-hmm. he loved a Cruyff turn. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he does – He's that's what I'm saying. He's like he'll utilize little moves and little tricks to get past Is you utilize the involved. same as you, just longer? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I like utilize. <laughs> I think use is more of, I don't know what it is. Like using a thing is just like a thing that's there, whereas utilizing it's like a skill that you've picked up. Okay. That's what I'm going okay, with. I'm, that's I'm the difference it. in my mind. At least. Uh, do you think we get to see him do a Cruyff turn in the game against Costa Rica? Like if you had to put money on, do we see Chase Gasper do a Cruyff turn February 1st versus Costa Rica? Yes or no? Would your money be on yes or no? Uh, yes, because yes. you, you can do one, a Cruyff turn, not necessarily dramatically, but as a way, like if the ball's coming from the left center back to you and you're the left back, yeah. to sort of take it and, and move in that oh, same direction. So I could see him doing that as so well. So I just see a safe one mm-hmm. yeah. as opposed to a flashy attacking one. Yes. Okay. Uh, my, my one other little thing like that's a slight negative, the way okay. I'm going to categorize this one would be that his distribution is ambitious – but not necessarily accurate, uh, especially when trying to like aggressively play out of the back if he's trying to launch a counterattack or just move the ball forward. Yeah, it tends to be a direct pass that gets cut out. I saw a lot of that Greg happening. Like those. He does Mr. Berhalter doesn't like those. So, which again feeds my question of where will he fit in here? Because Berhalter doesn't like that. Berhalter hasn't really really utilized a fully attacking left back. That's right, utilized again. So, how will he? Yeah. Utilize Chase Gasper. I'm excited to see how he's utilized. Let's not utilize that word anymore. Um, uh, I will say right. um, no more utilization. The U- <laughs> Berhalter has occasionally mm-hmm. gone with an attacking left yep. back, like when Serginho Dest mm-hmm. uh, played a couple. So it's not impossible that we just send nope. uh, Gasper out and say, "Hey, be a be an attacking left back." Yeah. Right. The other left back in camp. Unless you've got anything else to say about Gasper, I do not. Is Sam Vines. Sam Vines of the Colorado Rapids, 20 years old. Um, he was a pretty regular left back for Colorado Rapids in Major League Soccer in 2019. Before that, he played a whole season with Charlotte Independence uh, in the USL. So he's got like two seasons of professional soccer experience, right? Did he have a preseason with Anthony Hudson in this case? Yes. Yeah, okay. Cool. Yeah, he Just did. making sure. Interesting. Just making we'll sure. We'll talk about Anthony Hudson later. Oh, Don't boy. Worry. Don't worry. <laughs> Here's the interesting thing about Sam Vines. He's kind of the opposite of Araujo, yeah. right? Never, ever 
overcommits. Everything yeah. I've seen is when he's playing left back defensively, which is how I'm going to start again. He will kind of just stand up his guy who's running at him and just make little shifts as the attacking player tries to shift with the ball. He's very good at just like shifting an inch this way, an inch that way, or a step this way, a step that way, and getting between you and the goal, mm-hmm. um, essentially, but never commits to a big tackle. And it ends with the player either trying to go past you and you're getting like a tangle of legs with Sam Vines, or the player, the, the attacking player making just enough space to get a cross in. But, and this is regular on a lot of footage I saw, not a great cross because Vines hasn't left you that much space, which I'm really impressed with, uh, again, from a 20-year-old. Yeah. Right? He's really playing the positional, patient, stand-you-up game, which is not what you normally say about young left-backs. It's a, we've talked about it in the past, but it's more like the Maldini way of defending, right? Yes. Where you don't go to ground, you never really want to go slide tackle. Yeah, okay. you just close down all the options and patiently wait for the attacker to make a mistake, right. um, essentially. And then similarly, with the ball, he plays the simple pass right he plays the simple pass uh he will overlap because he's pretty quick so if he'll play the ball into midfield he'll occasionally then just go down the wing or he'll play it to the winger and then overlap the winger but he's not like left back uh dribble at you make something exciting happen but he doesn't give the ball away a lot either and i can mm-hmm. see that is a reason why Berhalter would really like him is that he's very um safe with the ball essentially but still progresses it up the field with some one twos and smart passes so would you say he's more of a like Daniel Lovitz type or is he a bit more at least when it comes to the national team do you think he'll be a bit more attacking than what we've seen from Lovitz so far I guess if you had to if I had to say then yes he okay. is a Daniel Lovitz type but I'm weirdly more excited about it because having that having that game maturity as a mid 20s experienced player like Daniel Lovitz is is one thing but having it as like a base level of talent as a 20-year-old, I think is kind of exciting. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, like absolutely. The, the maturity in a 20-year-old is exciting. The maturity in a mid to late 20s guy, it's kind of like, great, you're a pro, but maybe you shouldn't <laughs> be a national team player. Do you know what I'm saying? I do, I do. Um, the, the only part I – so all-around sensible player, right, which is quite exciting. The only thing that's not all that impressive is his crossing because his crossing falls into the same category of like safe but not exciting, as in like he will – float a ball to the back post where there are a couple of his players but it's definitely not like a whipped in targeted ball direct to this player's mm-hmm. head you know what I'm saying like yep. it's it's okay but it's not a really uh, a really dangerous cross that he's putting in yes I think that is probably given that I have a couple of players who are like that as well maybe representative of to your point a younger player a 20 year old player who's maybe not quite backing themselves to try a certain pass or try a certain move but yeah. kind of keep doing the things that they've been asked to do and keep the ball moving yeah that makes sense to me uh same question as before do you think he is a u23 olympic uh type player more yes. so than a potential starter at left um, back I say yes, not least because he's been in a bunch of those U23 squads that Jason Cross has called up. I think there's a good chance he's the starting left back okay. uh, for the U23s. That ticks some boxes yeah. there. That makes sense. Anything check, else on Sam Vines? Check and check. No, I'm ready to move on. All right. We'll stay in the defense, though, because yeah. I'm going to tell you about Mr. Justin Glad. Please a do. man that we have talked about before. Yeah. Um, and that is kind of where I'm coming from with Justin Glad, for those who aren't as familiar. He's like 20- 37, right? <laughs> That's the thing, man. Uh, it feels like he's been around for forever. He's 22. He is as old as some of the people who were drafted today and yet has been playing <laughs> for a very long time, yeah. still has not made a senior appearance for the national team, which oh, really? I would have bet for all the world that he made like three or four. 
Not so far. Okay. Uh, he's 22-year-old right-footed uh, center back for RSL. Mm-hmm. Um, and he is a player who I think you and I, because we've known about for a while, he has never been a player that we were particularly excited to see or like – and I don't mean that in a negative, but just sort of like it was never a name that we are like, you got to have Justin Glad in yeah. there. How do you not? For me, he was always an up-and-coming mm-hmm. center back, but never the up-and-coming center back that I was excited about. Yes. Yeah? Until for me this past season, especially near the end of this last MLS season, and Joe Lowry and I had a couple different conversations about it. I think two of them on air about how Justin Glad's distribution had improved so much that I was asking Joe, like, is this a thing he's always been able to do? And he was saying, like, no, this is kind of a, a newer thing. Is a new thing? It's, okay. Or at least it's the improvement, dramatic improvement, I would say, has been a more, more recent occurrence, okay. evidently. Uh, and I would agree so with that. So he used to be regular delivery and now he's Amazon Prime. Perfect. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, but he he's a center back who can – I think does fit a lot of what Greg Berhalter is looking for from a center back. He can stride forward with the ball. He can evade a little bit of pressure and and move forward with it. Doesn't just always look for lateral passes. He can boom balls forward. So if they're playing against a team that has a high line or is maybe being a little bit aggressive, he can hit that ball to launch a counter. Yeah. The one that he seems to favor a lot is if he's the left center back, it's a very boomed long diagonal ball over to the right back. And if he's on the right center back side, then it's to the left back. But he looks for that really long diagonal to trigger attacks when the opponent is sort of defensively solid in the middle. So that's a thing you can look for. What I was looking for in watching Justin Glad is sort of maybe why he hasn't gotten a cap yet, why he hasn't been such a consistent call-up. Do you have an answer? I think. I mean, obviously people who watch him more regularly, RSL fans, can certainly have uh, have some views that are probably more accurate. But for me, it was that he does a lot of things very well that I would watch these sequences and be like, oh, wow, like that was a really big tackle that he needed to make. Oh, that was a great header. Oh, what a timely intervention. And then if you watch that clip again, you'll notice that like, oh, he made a really good tackle, but it was because he kept his man on side because he was five yards <laughs> deeper than everybody. Like, yes, he made that interception, but yeah, it was yeah, because yeah. he had sort of found himself in a space rather than closed down that space like Mm -hmm. it was sort of for in a lot of his big moments there were also questions of like oh but if he hadn't been deep or been too far forward or what have you would he have needed to make that play and i think that's where it's sort of like it's good but then there's some inconsistency that if he doesn't make that big tackle they're in on goal or if he mistimes it it's a red card are you with me in thinking that maybe if he was 19 20 that's forgivable but once Mm -hmm. you're 22 you should be starting to lose those traits yes i I would absolutely say that and yeah and i think that's where he is at this point in his career and he he was benched for a while he wasn't yeah i was surprised by that yeah yeah and so i think that probably factors into it too and maybe now he has found that stability has been rewarded with this january call-up if we see him play then it means i think he continued to impress in in camp if we don't then i think it means he still has work to do Okay, the other newish centre-back in this group is Mark McKenzie. Uh, 20 years old, Philadelphia Union, he's a homegrown player. He was MLS Rookie of the Year in 2018. I'd forgotten that. Hey, Daryl here, cutting in with a quick correction. Mark McKenzie did not win MLS Rookie of the Year in 2018. He was a nominee, but Corey Baird won Rookie of the Year in 2018. Uh, The reason I got this wrong is that I'm bad at my job. So I started doing my research. The reason he didn't get much done in MLS in 2019 is preseason starts with an ankle injury. March brings a concussion. April brings appendicitis. That was Mark McKenzie's start to this season. It's a less popular rhyming thing than like April showers bring bring me flowers. Exactly, yeah. (laughs) April brings appendicitis. (laughs) Um, And if you remember, um, most people, if you watch the U20 World Cup closely, will remember... Mark McKenzie was the captain of the U20 World Cup team, mm-hmm. Ty Bromis' U20 World Cup team, but he also wasn't fully fit. Nope. And he made a couple of appearances. I think he played twice 
didn't look like the Mark McKenzie that you would know if you'd seen him play for Philadelphia the year before. Right. I actually think it's kind of testament to his uh, leadership skills that every Tab Ramos and apparently all the players, I, I read a couple of like quotes from players, they all just wanted him in the squad. They wanted him there. He's a presence in the locker room, a, a, like a, a teammate and a leader that everybody wanted there, even though he wasn't fully fit and probably should not have been on the field based on wasn't, the performances I saw. Wasn't there also a thing where like that call-up would have been around the time when Philly were pushing for like top spot in the East or like they had a playoff game looming? Or, it was something it where it was basically... It wasn't a playoff game because the World Cup was in May. Okay, so th- maybe it was just that like I remember there being a thing where like, ooh, and Philly might not let him go. <laughs> like, right. Like, they kind of need him. We'll see how this plays out. And I think in the end, he did go, obviously. Yeah. But I think even then, there was debate about, like, will they let him go play with the U-20s because yep. he is already so important for Philly? Well, so yeah. So we didn't see the best of Mark mm-hmm. McKenzie in 2019, but he has a lot of gifts. Okay. okay. So this guy, he's not a giant, right? He's six foot, which is almost like minimum. You must be this tall to, to ride this position. <laughs> Height for a center back, mm-hmm. right? And he, so he's not like crazy tall. He's not like obscenely fast, but he's tall enough and fast enough to not be a thing that can get exploited. You know what I'm saying? Like he's not slow and he's not short. He's just not like a dominant aerial presence. What he's really good at is stepping. Hmm. Like he will be in the back of a striker um, and that striker will kind of receive the ball. Uh, They're back to goal. They're back to Mark McKenzie. And McKenzie will find a way to, again, give that Araujo style, little nudge or little sneaky step around. And just get to the ball first. Um, he's that defender as well. That you know, you see a lot of times like balls will come in low, like crossed balls low, or like hallway pass mm-hmm. balls, uh, corridor of uncertainty balls. And there tends to be like a centre back who's always the one who steps and cuts it out. Mark McKenzie's that guy. He's okay. the guy that's reading that that ball is coming in, gets himself in position, blocks that ball coming in. So he's a centre back who's reading the game and he's physically enough to like win little battles, right? So these are all great traits for a centre back. Given my concern about Justin Glad and how he occasionally drops in too readily, <laughs> if they partner each other with McKenzie stepping out aggressively yeah. and Glad dropping in, we could have some problems. So a gap between keep an eye on that one. Two, keep an right. eye on that one. Well, maybe Greg. McKenzie will be so good that, that it won't even have to get, sure. get sure, sure, sure. behind. The other thing that he's really good at is bringing the ball out of the back. Not necessarily in a dribbly kind of way, in a picking out passes kind of way. He will break the lines like John Brooks-ish. With, you know, he's right-footed, he'll play right centre-back, but he'll play passes that go into a striker and bypass midfield along the floor. He will play those big boom diagonal balls that you were talking about Justin Glad play. But he will also play, this is what really impressed me, I want to call it like the torpedo-driven mm-hmm. ball. You know when you can hit a crossfield ball but it doesn't go very high. You kind of strike it sweet and low, and you can almost imagine it like whistling as it goes past. Mm-hmm. Uh, it travels very quickly, reasonably low to the other side of the field, and in like literally to the person's toe. Right? He will land it with the with the uh, the, the teammate that he's aiming for. So ambitious, but also accurate. Yeah, ambitious but accurate. That, that is worked. Mark McKenzie passing the ball out of the back. So I'm pretty um, excited. We've just talked about two centre backs, but there's also Aaron Long and Walker Zimmerman on this roster. So I have no idea how much we actually see of these two guys uh, against Costa Rica. Okay. I think we'll, we'll probably get more to like who's going to play and what does this team look like and why are we doing this. All of those probably correspond to some of the Twitter questions that we'll get to later. Okay. Still several players to uh, preview, discuss, explain. But first, we should talk about today's sponsor, HelloFresh, uh, America's number one meal kit delivery service. You can get mouthwatering seasonal recipes, pre-measured ingredients delivered right to your door with HelloFresh. So, Greg Bell to build a January roster hello fresh build you a meal roster <laughs> and i guess the players are 
sort of delivered to his doorstep. Yeah. If his doorstep is wherever camp is being held and not Qatar. Yep. Uh, yeah. And, and he's also, does the same. And he's breaking out of his rut, right? Instead, <laughs> instead, sure. of, instead of Daniel Lovitz, yeah. um, which is uh, you making pasta. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> Greg, he's gone for figgy pork. Greg yeah. Verhalter is mixing it up with some chicken palm, like a Sam I Vines. Mean, I think that's still pasta, but I take, <laughs> I, I take your general point. Yes. Um, and that is, I should add, uh, the figgy pork comes to mind for me because that is one of the low-calorie options, I believe, we were sent. Oh, My wife that's, has, that's why we got different meals. Indeed. Okay. She, has, she has more dietary restrictions these days, so uh, we were looking for something that could accommodate that. HelloFresh essentially did that. Uh, we had like figgy pork, so you don't have a lot of carbs there. What does figgy pork mean? Does it mean it's, it's pork, pork with, with figs? Figs? Mm-hmm. Okay. It's, yeah. Yeah. And some rosemary potatoes, I do believe. You got like a maple chicken with uh, butternut squash and maybe sweet potatoes, I think it was. What time am I coming around? Uh, whenever you want, buddy, is when we'll have eaten. Uh, <laughs> and I'm sure there'll be some scraps left over for you, maybe. I'll come in and wash you up. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. But I, I should say, we got the two-person uh, meal plan, yep. but you can get it for larger groups if you so need. So you could accommodate uh, Daryl and his wife coming over if you wanted to, but I don't. How about that? Um, also, in the copy here, yeah. I've never seen this before, mm-hmm. HelloFresh's carbon footprint is 25% lower than store-bought grocery-made meals. So if you're looking to decrease... But the- do you have a source on that? Are you sure? Uh, so my source is the University of Michigan. Oh, okay, cool. As long as yeah. there's a source, then I'm good with yep. it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's good. We we don't it's, want it, footprints and we don't want carbon. But it's spelled S-A-U-C-E. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> now, now, I, now, I have, now I have questions. Now I have concerns. It's not really. It's it is not. not. Really. But you know what it is? Uh, now basically available from $5.66 per serving, mm, okay. which is a good way of saying that it also saves you some money because but at that rate, I'm pretty sure you're not finding many delicious uh, dinner options, food options, if you're going out and asking them to bring you something for $5.66. I mean, you could try at a restaurant. But yeah, I'm not sure how well that would be. Go. An interesting way to order. <laughs> Bring me something for five dollars and sixty six cents. You'll get like two thirds of a beer in certain places. I think is how that will work. Unless you go to hellofresh.com/tss10. That's uh, hellofresh.com/tss10, and use the code TSS10. That's TSS10 mm-hmm. uh, during HelloFresh's New Year's sale, and you'll get ten free meals, including free shipping. Yeah. One more time. That's uh, hellofresh.com/tss10, and you can use the code TSS10 during their New Year's sale for ten free meals. Thank you very much to HelloFresh for sponsoring this episode of the Total Soccer Show. Uh, you just went with Mark McKenzie. Does that mean it's my turn to talk? Yeah. Yeah. Some players. So we're on to the midfielders, right? right? Who are the midfielders that we need to introduce to our listeners? Let's talk or, or about, we need to get to know them better. Let's talk about a man who I wasn't even sure how to pronounce his name uh, last week. I'm more confident this time around. It's Christian Kappis. Why uh, are you confident that it's Kappis and not Kapi? Which a lot of people seem to try and go with. Because I watched uh, a couple different games or highlights from a couple different games. The Scandinavian broadcasters all went with Kappis. Yeah. And I believe I heard that from some of his teammates too because some of those games were not well attended and thus you could hear the field noise instead of the crowd noise. <laughs> uh, but Kappis is a 20-year-old left-footed central midfielder for Holbro in Denmark. Yep. Uh, most footage I should note uh, that I saw from him is from Denmark in November and December. So yeah. grain of salt there because it looked wet and cold. Right. Everyone had long sleeves and gloves. So not camping weather. It's but also not the prettiest weather for like playing very fast, free-flowing soccer. Yeah, yeah. And I do think the soccer kind of reflected that. It was pretty physical. Yeah. And I guess I'm just saying that as I don't know if that is kind of his game and Holbro's game as a whole or if it was just bad weather leading to not the prettiest of soccer. I mean, there's like one week of sunshine. <laughs> yeah, all right. So maybe maybe it's uh, a good indicator. Um, and it did, with in mind, take me a minute to kind of see what I think is going to happen with him with the national team. And okay. then it made sense because he plays – 
in various formations as a central midfielder, but yeah. I saw him pretty regularly as in a four four two as one of those two midfielders, and I wasn't quite a sure. Four four two in Scandinavia, shocking, shocking. Uh, but to me, that meant like okay, maybe he's going to be more of a number eight. And so then I started watching him as a number eight, but then he was kind of attacking at times, and really what it ended up being was number six, and once you see him as a number six, it makes a lot more sense. Because okay. he can do a lot of what I think Greg Berhalter wants from his number six. He can stay deep and shield that back line without getting caught out, without going charging forward into the attack. He can play those diagonals. He can play simple passes. He's not really a flashy dribbling past people or trying to beat people with skills. He is very much a keep-it-moving type of guy. Okay. So much so that like the way the way I kind of found myself thinking of him, if, I, if you had been in the room, you would have heard me say it. Instead, it was just in my head. Head, but it was a lot of like, yeah, that was fine. Like it's just sort of he's oh, not, no, not unimpressed, but not overly impressed. Exactly. Yeah. Like he what he like he can bring the ball down under pressure. That's great. But then it's usually going to be like, and then the ball goes back to the center back or goes laterally to like the open fullback. Yeah. I didn't see him trying to turn and play the ball forward. I didn't see him trying those sort of probing passes when he would hit those long diagonals. It was because oh, there's 30 yards of space on the right side, and that switch is on. It wasn't always or even regularly as much a like oh a pinpoint ball over the top into an on running fullback who's now gotten past the. Defense. What's he like defensively? Is he wrecking people, or is uh, yeah? Is, I mean, is, is he Michael Bradley like crouch defensive position, or is he Alfredo Morales? He's more I'm Alfredo Morales. He's definitely more Alfredo okay. Morales. Um, it's good. he's more of a like patrols the midfield. He's going to contest every fifty fifty. He is going to basically fight people for the ball. He's probably going to give up some fouls. He's not going to let anybody get by him easily. Um, and so I don't think he's going to be a very glamorous player for the U.S. At least not right now. Okay. But I think he's going to be a sort of like fight for every ball and. And then play the simple passes, hit some of those diagonals, be good defensively. Could he play at a higher level? I mean, like a big, so, for example, a bigger European league, could he move to Germany? I mean, the, I, it, that's always like tough because, yeah. again, I'm going from like a lot of Scout highlights here. It's not as though I've watched every single one of his games in and out. Um, but, I mean, he's starting every single game for Holbro, who are a decent team uh, in Scandinavia, and seems to be a very important player for them, and doesn't stand out in a bad way. Like, like I never saw those moments of, like, ooh, like that's, he's getting in there because he's young and exciting. It was sort of like, yeah, he seems to be doing everything that's asked of him. And I think if you're looking for a young player who does a good job and does what's asked, I feel like that's what a lot of teams would like. So I wouldn't be surprised okay. to see him getting a move, but I doubt he moves to Dortmund and starts, or Wolfsburg even, and starts. And so remind me his age again. Is he U23? 20 years old. 20 years old? Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. That's yeah. quite impressive then to be yes. a defensive midfielder mm-hmm. uh, regularly at 20 yep. years old. Yeah, right? so uh, yes. So I think he is another one who I would expect to be more Olympic-minded mm-hmm. than like national team appearances regularly this 2020. Yeah. We may, I may well be wrong, but that's where I would kind of put him as a six slash potentially number eight who will get some time with the U23s. Maybe we'll see him once or twice more with the national team, but I'm not so inclined to think that's going to happen right now. Okay, moving on. Um, I'm going to let people know about Brendan Aronson. If you're a Philadelphia Union fan, mm-hmm. you'll know all about Brendan Aronson. If you're a U.S. men's national team fan and that's all you watch, you might have noticed he was called up in October um, but didn't get on the field um, against Cuba or Canada. But I think this is a guy we should be excited about. Okay. So Brendan Aronson, 19 years old, great, great feat. Um, so many times you see Brendan Aronson receive the ball and he'll quickly turn or spin and make a bit of space for himself and then he'll find a pass and then he'll move and the game really keeps ticking. He looks like he's in a rondo all the time. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? 
Uh, yes, I do. I'll wait till I ask you. My, no, no, I, go I, ahead. I have a player comparison for you, and I'm wondering what you make of it. It's obviously not where he is quality-wise, but in terms of the player he reminds me of, and maybe it's a little bit he's got a kind of a strange posture and a goofy haircut, it's Thomas Muller is who he reminds me oh, of a little bit. Oh, that's interesting. I've got in my notes, if I had to compare him to uh-huh. a well-known player, it was Luka Modric. Okay. Yours yeah. is maybe better? I, I guess, yeah, he's a Ballon d'Or winner is probably better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just love Thomas Muller. So all. great feet, mm-hmm. like will control a ball, make a bit of space for himself, um, find a pass. He can also play some really nice, clever through balls. So like I've seen him set some stuff up uh, for Philadelphia Union, pick out teammates with some really good, like chipped ball precision uh, type thing. Definitely a Bearhalter player, right? Because Bearhalter loves players who can move the ball around, unsettle the opposition, and then uh, pick their pick passes that like exploit any positional. Uh, inefficiencies in the opposition right any holes he can get through um he's not that direct or ruthless you know what i'm saying i have seen him receive the ball in the box have like a player in front of him between him and the goal and he'll look for a clever pass right he's not he doesn't seem to be like i'm gonna beat you i'm gonna put it in the bottom right corner Mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying how old is he again 19 yeah right so he's like maybe lacking that 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 feels about the right age for that to be your decision making process a little bit yeah but it depends right there are 19 year old players Mm -hmm. who are just like give me the ball i'm gonna go at him also true right and it's it's all about we'll we'll talk about an 18 year old one of those in a little bit oh i know what you mean yeah but it's all about finding that balance Mm -hmm. right so right now i don't don't feel like uh, brendan aronson has that direct threat but he just looks so alive and sharp and constantly moving and constantly moving the ball. And then what I'm really excited about is I could describe to you a great technical player who's really good at pass and move stuff. You wouldn't necessarily then also think, and this player is absolutely tenacious on defense, right? Okay. So one of the reasons that Brendan Aronson started so much for Philadelphia Union last year, he played 28 games, didn't start all of them, but started a lot of them. Um, when there's, you know, Marco Fabian is there in a similarish position, right? The tip of the diamond attacking midfield position is that Brendan Aronson will press and press and press. He will chase opponents down. If he loses the ball in the middle of all his passing, he will chase opponents down and win the ball back. I think that's the, that's the key here is we've got a player who's technically good, can see a pass, and then will also do a defensive job. And he's only 19 years old. And so... Forgive me if you've already said this. In the Berhalter system, where do you expect him to be, Ooh. again, if he were to play against Costa Rica? If he were to play in the Berhalter system, he would be either the number eight Weston McKenney role, but more likely the number 10 Christian Pulisic yeah. role, I think. Okay. In fact, definitely more so the Christian Pulisic slash Sebastian Legette role. I agree, and I also think we actually will see him get minutes. Probably won't start. I do think that yeah. my, my inclination right now, based on nothing, is that Burhalter will go sort of with the usual, the, the core group, as it were, uh, and then maybe bring in some substitutes who are some younger yeah. players to get their debut. So Legette would be appearance. the senior number 10 yes. on this and roster. I guess it would be he starts Legette, and then Aronson gets some minutes in the second half. That makes sense to me. It also, from a Brendan Aronson perspective, because he He's, he's been with the U23s before, obviously. He's been with the senior team before, like I said, in October, but didn't play. In terms of career progress, making his national team debut would make sense, even if it's only for five yeah. minutes. It would mm-hmm. make sense in, Jan- in January, in February, against Costa Rica. February 1st. All right. Yeah. I, I will look forward to that. Yep. I will the look American f- Luka Modric. I will look forward to our next player, the American Luka Modric. Uh, the American, I don't know, he might be good, uh, is who we're going to talk about next. 16-year-old player, and that's a key point to start. It's Brian Kao. Brian Kao. Brian Kao? Kao? Yeah, no one really sh- is sure. That's he what I'm is, worried. however you pronounce his name, to yeah. me, he is the absolute outlier on this roster right okay. this roster has some senior players uh-huh. like Christian Roldan and Sebastian Legette yeah. it has essentially U23 players who are getting a look with the senior team mm-hmm. 
and then it has Brian Keo. I said he was 16. My bad. He's 17 now. He oh, that 17. makes all the difference. Yeah. Yes. It doesn't. He's it still does very not. young. And that's where I have my notes. Is first off, it's a weird thing to list as a negative, but it's worth remembering is that he's literally a child. Like, he's <laughs> legally literally a child. And I say that just to say like Travis and I talk about this on Top Drawer about yeah. how weird it is to be like – I don't know if he or she has got it when we're talking about youth national teams. And then we're like, we're talking about a 16-year-old. That feels harsh. Yeah. And I, I say that not necessarily to say like, and so we shouldn't be mean to him if he has a bad game. But just to say that I think it's worth remembering that he is 17 because he plays like a 17-year-old. A lot of the footage I saw from him was in the U-17 World Cup. But he looks like a player who can be very, very good but is also susceptible to ball watching, to having like sloppy touches when it's not necessary, to getting tunnel vision. He concedes a penalty against the Netherlands by kind of going for a poke tackle and not realizing that the opposition player is turning, and he right. just kind of goes in clumsily, knocks the player over, obvious penalty given. No one had a good U-17 World Cup. They really, the really did not. Right. So where else would we have seen Brancao? I mean, if I guess like maybe we, he was with the D.C. Academy many, yeah. many years ago. Then he was with, what, Orange, Orange County? County yeah. yeah, he is with Unattached FC right now because he's another player who, once he turns 18, we would expect to move to Europe. Yeah. But right now he cannot, which is maybe partially explains why he is with this team right now because he's not anywhere else Mm -hmm. so why not give him some runs but I do think he's a player who will really really benefit from just being in this camp I don't think he's going to play but I think it will be very eye-opening because he is so so physically imposing and very fast that there were so many moments in that U17 woke up I've only seen a bit of footage is he a big tall guy like very long-legged yes I have no idea how tall he is but he was way bigger than everybody else he's he is that like absurd level of fitness of skinny and muscular at the same time where okay, you know so he's not he's not skinny like you can knock him over no okay. but he is also not like like this big like like uh Troy Deeney style forward like no he is like lean and incredibly fast and strong All right. and and like the thing that i would say like stood out to me from that U17 World Cup is that he did a lot of like final do it myself moments of like he would get the ball and turn usually playing as like a number 8 in the three man midfield turn and just nobody around him and so he would drive 40 yards forward with the ball or he would sprint 40 yards back to make a defensive play when like somebody else had been caught out and yeah. it was a lot of really 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 hard work for him and i think he could kind of make up for some of those youngster mistakes because he was so fast is so fast going to a national team camp he's going to have to adapt and yeah. i think it's going to be very eye-opening but i think he will not stand out physically in a negative way i think he can handle the physicality i think if he can sort of tighten it up a little bit i think he'll be a very good performer for the national team maybe maybe soon but certainly long term i think he is a player to keep an eye on and here's my argument for why Mm -hmm. it's a good thing that he's in camp even if it turns out he's not ready to play international senior men's football Mm -hmm. on february 1st which makes sense given his lack of senior professional minutes right um, it's still a good experience to spend mm-hmm. three weeks in camp with uh, men's national team players and Greg yes. Berhalter coaching you. If I were making a prediction about this, like about this roster and who ends up where, I really think he's a player who American fans are going to love like three years from now. Not to okay. say that like he's really bad right so now. We'll be watching him in the Bundesliga, but just yeah, I think so. And then Wolfsburg, he, he was linked with, right? Yes, yeah. uh, and, but he reminds me a lot of like a Weston McKinney, for example, mm. or just just Weston McKinney. We could just say Weston McKinney instead of a oh, Weston McKinney. <laughs> um, but it's just it's. He like I think especially if he develops that technical side, which it stands to reason he would in Germany, just the heart 
and the energy and the sort of determination that he brings into games, I think American fans are going to love him because he will do that. Yeah. 30 yards sprint back to put in a challenge or to make a professional foul. And he did that regularly with the U-17s, as I said. So I think that sort of energy and dedication combined with developing skill set, I think will make him a key performer for the U.S. If he were to play, as I said, I think we would see him in like the sort of number eight yeah. spot. I don't think we will, again, because yeah. he's 17. But I think he's one that I hope a lot of people ask about in the post-match press conference so we can <laughs> hear how he did in the camp. All right. Um, one name that uh, we chose to... I also hope they ask about it because I still don't properly know how to pronounce his name. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> that would also be useful. One name we chose to include on this getting to know you better list, but I feel like a lot of people will know already, mm-hmm. Paxton Pomacal. Yeah. Paxton Pomacal, first of all, very memorable name. Mm-hmm. Just turned 20, so he's still a youngster. Yeah. I'm really happy you put him on this list. By okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so FC Dallas played yep. the full season, right? Um, people will know him most. If you're only watching US national team stuff, you will know him from the U20 World Cup, yep. where he was very, very good uh, for the United States. Made one cap already, though, right? Made one appearance for the he national team? He played for five minutes there it is. against Uruguay. But, so he has made his day. But he had moments. That's the thing. He's, yeah. he's that type of player where it was like, ooh, like I'm kind of excited about him. He had five mm-hmm. minutes. He like got into space once and found an easy or smart pass. Yep. And that stood out to me. And then he's a player who was, what, at MLS All-Star as well? He yeah, well, we, I remember when mm-hmm. we saw him come on. Yeah. Um, they're playing Atletico Madrid. Yep. Uh, yeah, uh, MLS All-Stars. Mm-hmm. He really looked the part, mm-hmm. right? In a game where certain players, who I won't name, looked like they were struggling against Atletico Madrid. Um, Paxton <laughs> Parker You're right. I'm on. glad that you didn't say any names like Graham Zussi. That would have been troubling. So good of you for not saying any names in particular. Paxton Pomacar mm-hmm. came on and looked like he looked like he could match them in terms of finding space. I mean, he was like, keen, right? And yeah. He was excited to make an impact, I suppose. But he just looked like he looked like he belonged, mm-hmm. right? Okay, so if you've never seen Paxton Pomacal before, or you've only seen five minutes against Uruguay, um, he's a little fella, five foot seven. He is. Um, he's left footed. Uh-huh. Um, he can dribble with close control. That's yep. the thing I notice about him all the time. You see him dribbling forward. The ball doesn't go very far away from him. You know, some players like push the ball quite far out mm-hmm. and go after it. He keeps the ball tight to his body, but um, moves up the field with a little tiny burst of pace. Kind of Leo Messi-ish in that sense, which is, I know is a big comparison. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying he's as good as Leo Messi. I'm just saying that some players have that capability to, like, to uh, yeah. dribble with the ball close to their feet. And I'm glad you brought that up because I feel like I should add here that when I talked about KO making those driving runs forward, that is also how he dribbles. That even though he's, oh, really? he's considerably larger than, say, Paxton Pomacall, yeah, yeah. he keeps the ball very tightly controlled. So he tends to either find his way through and then find a pass or get fouled because he's not playing the ball way out in front yes. of him. So thank you for jogging my memory on that one. That was the last thing I meant to say about KO. Now let's talk about Pomacall <laughs> yeah. a little bit more. All right, so the thing about Pomacall, so he can dribble at people. Um, he also seems to very often pick out the correct pass, right? Mm-hmm. At uh, 20 years old, he will often play very nice, like through balls that no one else saw, right? He can also play big balls, which I know uh, is it's become kind of a theme of this, but mm-hmm. I guess it's a little bit of a better theme as well, right? Who can hit the diagonal? Paxton Pomacall can hit the big diagonal. Um, he's also pretty good defensively and pretty tenacious similar mm-hmm. to Brandon Aronson right he, you will see him uh, run someone down win the ball off them but I also see a lot of things where a counter a attack starts mm-hmm. because Pamakau closes down someone down closes down someone really quickly wins the ball and away we go yeah. right so there's just a lot to like despite his name he's not peaceful he's aggressive he's not the winner. Yeah. there's just a lot to like mm-hmm. about Paxton Pamakau I honestly think he could 
he should be on a senior men's national team roster, even with everybody available. And I would be happy to see him on the field. This is why I was happy you included him because uh, I know you've you've already finished the Watchmen series, right? Yes. No, uh, I'm like halfway through. No spoilers. I've seen the movie as well. But you know, like the Doomsday Clock that's always like counting down to Doomsday, and yeah. it kind of like they adjust it based on the time. I feel like we need a Paxton Pomacall clock because <laughs> I keep thinking it's like, and there he is. Now he's like a national team player. Yeah. And like, oh, I'm a all star. Then he's going to be there. Oh, he made those that five minute appearance. We're going to see him again, and then we yep. kind of don't. And I never quite know where he is on that clock uh, and it seems like maybe that's where you are as well that he could continue to play with like the Olympic team and youth yeah. teams but maybe I'm, we'll see him with the national team as well I really feel like the Olympics is in his way in yeah. terms of uh, how much he gets to play for the mm-hmm. senior team and we almost need to get the Olympics over with so that Paxton <laughs> Pomacal can just in September be properly in contention with no distractions mm-hmm. for the for the senior men's national team I like that. I have a question about the Olympics for you in a moment, but I am aware that I'm kind of hijacking Paxton Pomacal. So I want to let yeah, you actually, finish. Actually, I do have one final point about Paxton like Pomacal, mm-hmm. and it's about his position. Mm-hmm. I have seen him play left wing successfully for the U20s. I've seen him play number 10 for FC Dallas. Like Greg I've Berhalter seen, is rubbing his hands together right now. I've seen him Dallas. play number 8 for FC Dallas. Less so um, and I did I actually, because I'm very good with mm-hmm. my research, I went back and watched the last five minutes of USA v Uruguay in September when he made his debut, he came on at left wing. Okay. So I don't know if that's, if that's where Berhalter sees him or if it was just like, all right, Jordan Morris looks tired, we can get you in for five minutes. I don't know how telling it is that he played left wing in his five minutes. I'm going to say I'm gonna say I think it's telling. Okay. Because we've seen Pulisic sort of maybe kind of used there, but it seems like Berhalter wants to use him centrally, which does speak to then a kind of lack of variety and depth in those wide attacking spots, like yeah. it's usually Paul Areola, Jordan Morris, they've done fine. But are those the two necessarily that we like want to back when we go to the World Cup, or we yeah. want some people pushing them? Right now, I'm not really sure who those people are, so I would expect maybe Pomacall fits in there a bit more than maybe as that number ten. Interesting. Okay, that's my feeling. If we see him in this game though yep. against Costa Rica, don't we already have plenty wingers on this roster? We got Yanez and Lewis. I feel and, like we've already established we have two number ten. And if so. Jordan Morris could go wide, but I could see Pomacall playing number eight. Okay. Yeah. All right. So then that would put him into the what he's in there. Christopher Roldan, obviously. Roldan, yeah. Uh, and then maybe Brian Ko. Although again, I don't think the seventeen-year-old is going to play in this game. Yeah. So, okay. Okay. That makes sense. That so makes maybe sense. he's the second choice number mm-hmm. eight yep. on this roster. Yep. Yeah. So there you go. Paxton Pomacal, definitely a name worth knowing. Another name worth knowing would be today's sponsor, Roughneck Scarves. Hey, Roughneck Our Scarves. old pals at Roughneck Scarves. Oh, so yeah. we are expecting maybe we'll see you next week when we're at the coaches' convention in Baltimore. We saw them yes. in Chicago. I'm just going to go ahead and operate on the assumption that that was precedent. They will be there this time and we'll hang out again. Yeah, we'll go see them at their booth. I like that plan. I like this plan. Um, But yes, Roughneck Scarves, the official scarf providers of U.S. soccer, Major League Soccer, the USL, and the NCAA. And for people with cold necks. And for people with cold necks. Of course, they also have the custom scarf option. So if they have an offering or they don't have an offering you would like, although they probably do because they have pretty much (laughs) everything, um, you could also make a custom option. And that's what we're going to go for here because we asked if you were to design a custom Roughneck Scarf to represent the U.S. men's national team January camp what would it look like we had several responses many of them negative we're gonna keep it a little more positive here with some of these so we chose four at first um at dgun01 mm-hmm. says it would be a baby scarf made by someone who hadn't worked there long uh-huh. i'm gonna guess that's a reference to the youth of this roster yeah i think so i think you could do that one or you could do with like the youth of the roster combined with the lack of people picking those youth players that <laughs> maybe means the people who would be involved in that not there so long uh, at boulder boulder hawk uh, su- suggests qatar on one side Sergio dest on the other 
I guess, not existing in Qatar. So this is not really related no. to the January camp, but the U.S. men's national team mm-hmm. camp, January camp, was originally going to be in Qatar. It was. But then because of, let's just say, security. Did something happen? Security concerns yeah. in the Middle East. I can't even get into it, honestly. That's we'll, right. we'll get complaints. Yep. Um, security concerns in the Middle we East. We already do. The uh, U.S. soccer decided to bring players home, and now the camp is happening in Bradenton. Mm-hmm. Right? So that's one thing that happened with U.S. soccer. Um, Wait, are you also, telling me that there was instability or potential instability related to a country that's currently blockaded? No. <laughs> but also, Ajax were there uh-huh. having a winter training camp in Qatar. I'm uh-huh. just going to keep pushing. I know you are. Um, <laughs> That's why I'm laughing. So Gino Dest was with Ajax. He was. He decided that mm-hmm. he, he didn't feel safe in Qatar because yeah. of recent events Weirdly, in the neither Middle did East. the Nepalese workers who were forced to work there. What? Sorry, continue. And he basically said, can I just leave camp and go back to, right. go back to the Netherlands? And they let him leave. Because yeah, he had a passport. He could go back. Yeah. <laughs> oh, um, yes. Uh, he went back, though. Uh, so we're happy Sergio Dest is back, although we're sad that he's not with the Ajax teams, especially since it feels like maybe he's lost that starting spot. Yeah, uh, Masrahi's back, uh-huh. right? Masrahi's back and uh, playing right back. It, I can't imagine Ajax will hold this against him. Uh, no, yeah, it. I feel like uh, feelings of personal safety and like the awareness thereof probably yeah. trump uh, the January camp, camp in the Middle East. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, at Riley Dog Bieber, uh, it would be a spool of yarn not yet made into a scarf because potential exclamation <laughs> I points. like it. I, I knew you it. would. I knew you would. <laughs> at Yaz Nasty mm. says, on one side would be Berhalter throwing a Ulysses Yanis shaped bone to US fans mm-hmm. and on the other side would be fans complaining because there still aren't enough teenagers with no first team appearances for their club on the senior US men's national team roster yeah that checks out that checks out indeed 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 indeed. we're going to talk Ulysses Yanis uh, <laughs> here in just a moment uh, I would like those custom scarf options I like most of the scarf options that Roughneck have on offer and I also like not having to pay a full price Daryl yeah if you go to roughneckscarves.com and you use the code total soccer show all one word total Total Soccer Show, you get 20% off when you buy a scarf mm-hmm. from roughneckscarves.com. It doesn't apply to the custom orders because that's a whole separate deal. Uh, but if you buy anything that you see at roughneckscarves.com, 20% off. Total Soccer Show is the code. So thank you very much to Roughneck Scarves for sponsoring today's episode. Thank you to everyone who submitted uh, ideas for custom scarves. And thank you to Ulysses Yanez for <laughs> brightening up the uh, American national team uh, fandom, or at least the men's national team fandom, yep. by being on this roster. Because I do think that made a lot of people feel uh, more optimistic than usual about yep. the January camp. <laughs> sure did. Mm. All right, so let me give you the quick rundown of forwards. There are six sure. listed, like basically Please. strikers and wingers. You've got Paul Ariola, senior. Jesus Ferraja, mm-hmm. newcomer, Ferreira, excuse me. Jonathan Lewis has made some senior appearances mm-hmm. already. He's got five caps. Ulysses Yanez, no, no senior caps, no, no senior nothing. appearances. No U23 call-ups even. We yeah. haven't seen him for the US since the U20 World Cup. Jordan Morris and Jassy Zardes. Right. Uh, one of the reasons why maybe we haven't seen him for the U23s is because he's 18. So he is still young. And I feel like yeah, but so are Ledesma very true. Um, very true. and uh, Alex Mendez. Mm-hmm. Essentially the same cohort as Ulysses Yanez, mm-hmm. and they've been U23 regulars. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, well, uh, Ulysses Yanez, for those who are less familiar, 18-year-old, uh, right foot dominant is what I'm going to say. <laughs> Not right footed, but right foot dominant. Okay. He, can, he can play with both. Uh, winger, he can play on the left or the right, which I think will be very appealing to Greg Berhalter because he is pretty dangerous on either the left or the right. As I said, you can use both feet. You will see the Travello right foot on occasion, yeah. uh, indicating, again, right foot dominant. Uh-huh. Uh, but he has really nice like tight control, especially at pace. He can bring the ball down over his shoulder, uh, but he can also then just turn Like a wide go, receiver. Yeah, really, really similar to that on a couple <laughs> occasions that it was like really did drop, and he brought it down like at speed going forward, oh, which is that. pretty I'd love skillful. to see 
speed up. Mm -hmm. Um, And he does love a dribble. I'll say that much for sure. Uh, He's good at low crossing in particular. When he plays simple, which he is also capable of doing, he really excels. When his passing is just sort of like quick one and two touch passing, he really is able to pass and move and get into space and cause some problems. When he dribbles, he causes problems too. I just feel like on occasion I saw him dribble too much. That may be because he was playing with that U17 team that wasn't doing particularly well. So it might have been the U20 team, I think, that it was kind of like... Yeah, last time time I saw him was the U20 World Cup. He wasn't fully fit, so he he only played like uh, the end of games. Right, and he would kind of come in and try, like basically try to do stuff. He would try stuff. Um, And on occasion that would work. On occasion it would lead to him getting fouled. And then frequently it would lead to him sort of beating one person, but then the ball being intercepted by a second or him losing the ball to a third defender. But he liked taking people on for sure. Did you get to watch much of his U19 Wolfsburg performances? No. So I've seen a lot of footage but it's just highlight footage. Mm-hmm. And, but it has been like a goal or an assist mm-hmm. or a couple of goals. At almost every appearance, Ulysses Janes appears for the Uni- Wolfsburg U19s and he makes something happen. Mm-hmm. And I wish that I could watch a full game to know, is he like trying stuff all the time and mm-hmm. this one thing or two things come off and he looks like a hero, but the rest of the time he's maybe taking too many risks and losing the ball. I'd like to know what his sort of ratio of success is. So here's, can I tell you my half-baked theory yeah. that sort of explains that? I think I started to explain this to you via text earlier, but it's the thing I found watching a lot of our national teams, especially the youth national teams playing, that at times it feels like there are two teams existing inside one team, that it looks like the, like the defenses and the attack are much more like Liverpool, Man City, aggressively, let's get the ball forward, let's possess the ball, let's move it fast, let's find opportunities, let's get shots off. And then the midfield three feels more like a Mourinho midfield of sort of like, let's slow it down, let's make sure we've got the right shape, then one of us will show. And so... I think I say that just to say that with Wolfsburg, there's a decent chance that they're just playing much faster and he's therefore getting the ball in more favorable situations to be in better shooting opportunities or better passing opportunities. Whereas with the U.S., I feel like he's getting the ball 40, 50, 60 yards from goal and then having to turn it run at people because it's a little bit slower. So everybody ends up dropping deeper and deeper and deeper. And I think that might also be why maybe he's a bit more successful, why he has better highlights with Wolfsburg, just because he's getting the ball in attacking positions and being told go do stuff versus getting the ball in your own half and being told dribble all the way forward and then try to find somebody to pass to or maybe get a shot off is he ready for a senior men's national team debut because he's he's a Wolfsburg U19 player and he's doing incredible things that look great on video um I mean in a highlight reel here's my answer even though it's going to sound like a cop-out answer that is very much up to Greg Berhalter in terms of if he comes into camp and is ready. But my answer to you is he is ready to be in a senior camp, yes. Because I think similar to KO a little bit where you can see him sort of dominating within his age group, I want to see what he does against fully grown men who have fully grown experience. This is a good challenge for him. Yes, and I feel like Ulysses Giannis, he can take people on. He was like tooling the Qatar national team at the U20 World Cup or with the U20s. And like, is that a good indicator of what he's going to be able to do for the the senior national team? I don't know. But I think if you bring him into camp and he tries to dribble past somebody and he gets knocked off the ball, maybe he tries it again because that's his approach and he succeeds. But maybe he learns, okay, this time I'll play a little bit more simple. Like, I think he needs those sort of reps as well to find himself in the right situation. I'd love to know what happens in January mm-hmm. camp the first time he dribbles at, say, Aaron Lung. Uh, you know probably, what I mean? I feel like he probably gets thumped. I do think that's yeah. probably how you sort of respond to youngsters trying stuff, and yeah, especially yeah. because there are all those stories about players, like young players coming in and going for a meg and then just getting like cleared out because like that's not what you do in this team. Yeah, it's yeah. not about individuality. Um, it's weird that I chose Aaron Lung, though, right? Because it's 
because like, uh, he shaved his head now. He's a tough guy. But John Brooks isn't there, or Michael Bradley's mm-hmm. not there, or like some senior pro is not there. I feel like Paul Ariola would be one to leave a, a tackle or two in That's just to true. let people know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and despite seeming like a very lovely person, yeah, I just yeah. feel like you know he would kind of continue that idea. Uh, but I do think Ulysses Yanez is one hundred percent going to try to beat somebody. He is. He is the type that will, and I mean this in like the best possible way, that he's going to come in, and even if he has adapted and maybe been knocked off the ball a couple times, he's still going to be like, yeah, but i got to beat somebody. Like I want to put the ball between somebody's legs or run around them and get the ball on the other side, yeah. and then I'll feel like I've made my debut. So my guess is that, again, with Yanez, this is a U23 possible call-up, mm-hmm. as opposed to an actual senior men's national team, you're our new senior national team winger mm-hmm. call-up. I think it's because he hasn't been involved with the U23s. This is almost like an accelerated... Let's get a good look at him before qualifying in March. Mm-hmm. And we'll make, we'll make the decision of whether to use him in March partially based on what we see in this camp. Okay. That seems yeah, that, I think that makes a lot of sense yeah. to me. Yeah. So I, I think he's going to be exciting, but I also think he is a player who, if people haven't watched him and, and have only heard the hype about him, he will probably be, I'm not saying like talent-wise or like career-wise, but he will be more of a, like, I don't know, who came in with a lot of hype around them? Like, not Freddie Adu, obviously, but that's sort of... That was about like, to be my answer. Uh, I'm trying to remember, like, more, I, I, like, Julian Green. Like, he's Ooh. a player who maybe isn't quite ready for it, but yeah. I think has so much hype that if people are expecting him to come in and just torch defenses and automatically be a starter... He may do that, but I, I think more likely is that people will be a little bit disappointed. But I think that's unfair because that's not what we should be expecting of him right now. My other weird question is, he's had such a great start with Wolfsburg U19s. Mm-hmm. You would have thought that as has happened yeah. with, say, Gio Reyna at Dortmund, mm-hmm. that the, uh, the winter break in Germany would be the time that he goes and trains with the senior team. Yep. And I wonder, like, is it better for his career to have this January camp with the senior men's national team? Or would it have been better to stay with Wolfsburg and see what happened in the winter? We, we had a, qu- a couple questions like that. And I'm, this is where I guess I am going to give U.S. soccer the benefit of the doubt and say that like, I could see them maybe – and maybe even Ulysses Janos, who has publicly – his father as well publicly said, like, we haven't heard anything. No one has contacted us. Like, what's going on in U.S. soccer? Because he's also eligible to play for the Mexican national team. Right. Yeah. And so there could be – you could make an argument that this was U.S. soccer being like, look, we really want him in. We want to show that, like, like he's part of our plan long term. Yeah. And I think for Janos, also, it's the first time he's called in so, to the senior team at least. So – he probably wouldn't want to turn that down. Yeah. And I think Wolfsburg would maybe see that as like, yeah, okay, we want to let him go back and train with like the senior good, national team. good for our player yeah, I think so. do that. Yeah. I think so. He might, probably, come back, he might come back knowing a couple more things than he yeah. did. Yeah. And the reality is also if he impresses and becomes a, a national team regular, even a squad member with a national team, that also helps Wolfsburg long-term potentially. Put Fair it that enough. Way. Fair enough. All right, another new name mm-hmm. um, on this roster is a new American. Ah, yes. Jesus Ferreira. Genuinely blank for a minute. I was like, what's that now? He's been here a long time. He's mm-hmm. the son of David Ferreira. Yep. And I think he was so technically Colombian until recently where Jesus Ferreira did the whole like um, ceremony thing, became an American citizen. Mm-hmm. He is 19 years old. I don't know if he's done the FIFA paperwork to play for the U.S. men's national team. So we may not see him February 1st because the paperwork may not have been done. But he, at we're, some point, we're pretty sure someone on U.S. soccer is on that, right? Someone's on it, yeah. So. But it's not necess- it doesn't mean someone at FIFA's on it. You know what I'm saying? Also true. Yeah. They could have got like a bounce back. We're out of the office until January, <laughs> whatever. <you know. laughs> um, but Jesus Ferreira is a player worth being excited right. about, in my opinion. Um, he is, get ready for this, in his lack of an obvious position but all-round attacking usefulness, mm-hmm. Firmino-ish. Okay. Now, right? now, my, my, my ears are pre- I'm excited now. So, Tell me more. 
He's like he can play centre forward, right? Does he have a winning smile? He does not. It's not as bright as Firmino's. Well, then yes. I'm less interested. But you know how Firmino's like not a classic number nine, mm-hmm. right? But he's not really a number ten. He's not really a winger. Mm-hmm. But it kind of works how he plays in that striker role for yep. Liverpool, but bounces all over the place. I think of Ferreira a bit like that as well. He's like a nine and a half, and he can play wide as well, mm-hmm. right? So he does. Um, a, a bit of everything in that way, right? He can dribble, definitely. Like, he runs at people. Um, they're in trouble because he's got, like, a nice quick change of direction as he's uh, running at you. He's also very good at the slow down a little bit, draw someone in, mm-hmm. drag back, and then pass them one, two, and you're away uh, kind of thing. And then he's also, which I always find, again, like, the way that I find it exciting that Sam Vines knows to stand people up as a 19, 20-year-old. As a 19-year-old, Jesus Ferreira is a finisher who can just pick out the corner and bang it in that corner hmm. or curl it in that corner. Okay. Do you know what I'm saying? Like he yeah. can pick his spot from a decent distance, like, you know, 15 yards out and find that bottom corner and, and it's going in. So with Firmino, though, I think of him... And again, before anyone says anything, it's not, I'm not saying he's as good as Firmino. Yeah, yeah of course. Of I'm course. saying his positional like, and his profile kind of fits with a Firmino-type player. I would like him to be as good as Firmino. Yeah, that would work, That right? would be terrific. <laughs> uh, I, but what I was going to ask is, Firmino can do all of those things, I think, because he has a very high soccer IQ and seems to be constantly aware. He seems to be like the one that is most fluid in what he... Like, if Klopp tells him to do this, he'll do that. If Klopp asks him to do this, he'll do that. And I think yeah. he can take it on himself. I guess what I'm asking is, do you see that sort of same inclination from Ferreira of, do you see him make those adjustments sort of in-game? Do you see him checking around a lot? Some of the hallmarks of like players who are very aware of like their spacing and their teammates? position. Yeah, or even just like the, like the checking do, that we I were talking about, about, like checking around to make sure he's open and trying to find those pockets of space. Um, I can say that I'm not as good at checking for that. Okay. So, okay. <laughs> So that may be there, mm-hmm. but I haven't looked for it to see if it's All there. Right. Well, that's, maybe, we'll keep an eye on that when it comes to the January camp. We'll ask Charlie to have a look for it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> if anyone would have spotted it, he would have. I mean, I, I do think he has that global like repository of everybody who's checking space oh, yeah, at yeah. any given moment. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, just send an email to Charlie and see what happens. He's checking videos all the <laughs> time. Um, so he's forever a player I think worth being excited about. Again, if the paperwork hasn't gone through, maybe we don't see him February 1st. It's a good possibility we see him with the U23s in March. Yep. Because if you remember, when you look at that U23 roster, a lot of talent on there, right? Mendes, Ledesma, Richards, all those guys. There wasn't the same top-end striker talent that gets you on the edge of your seat really excited unless they pull down a Josh Sargent or a mm-hmm. Tim Ware from the senior team ranks. Right. Yeah. Okay. And But is that a good way of saying like what we – like how we feel like people should think about this January camp? We, yeah. we want to tell for people me, how to me think. anyway. Yeah. Right. But like, I, but I found myself – you kind of helped me figure this one out that um, it really is just a matter of uh, the hand gestures I was making I think is what, what it came down to <laughs> is I was saying to you like I'm having a hard time with this camp a little bit because it feels like we don't have – at least at the time that we were first talking about this, like we don't have a lot of the uh, youth national team spots filled. Now I guess we have one more. The coaching, um, you mean? Uh, yes, excuse yeah. me. Yeah, the, the, and so like I, I felt like, well, is this like a camp where we've got a bunch of players called in because we don't have certain things set, settled with those youth teams? We've got like some like 17s, some 18s, some 19s, some 20s, some older players. Like I don't know how to look at this because I don't know is it like building towards the Olympics or building towards the national team or building towards youth national teams or just giving like letting Greg Berhalter look at things Mm -hmm. and this is where the hand gestures were as I was putting those all over the place and you're like I think the answer is yes like we're going to do all those things in one camp and I think that is the way to see this is not all of these guys are being brought in and they're all sort of in the exact same spot of if you play really well you're a national team like in that squad now I think there are varying starting points for a lot of these guys in terms of their likelihood to make the national team in 2020 and I think for a lot of them it is about the Olympics especially for the obvious U23 Mm -hmm. guys like Brendan Aronson or uh, 
uh, Jesus Ferraro, Ulysses Yanez, or Paxton Pomacal. Mark McKenzie is a really good example, I think. Um, it's about giving them a magnificent start to 2020 mm-hmm. by giving because there is no U23 camp, right? So you bring them into the senior men's national team camp, yeah, um, and they get three weeks with Greg Berhalter. Mm-hmm. They start in really sharp form. They get coached by the senior coaching staff. It right. gives them a great start to 2020. They, so they go into that, and then in March, they'll be playing the qualifying games. I think it's all about that. I think it's just giving them a little bump in their career, a good start to the season, um, and a, a bit of momentum going into, going into March. That's, I, what's, yeah. that's what it's about for the U23 I players. agree with all of that. And then the way, because I'm sort of a visual person, the way I'm sort of picturing it is like, let's say Mark McKenzie is – 20% of the way towards like getting a senior national team start or being a, like a squad member for the national team yeah. and Pomacall is like 70% of the way there. So even okay. if McKenzie has a really really good game, maybe he bumps up 20%. He's still like not that close whereas Pomacall if he has a really good game or justifies the call yeah. and he has 20%, now he's at 90%. So that's how I see it is like different people are further along yeah. in that like way to make the national team. I still think a but lot also, of these people are in there. Though. But I think the way to think mm-hmm. about it is not how close is Mark McKenzie to being a senior men's national team center back. Mm-hmm. It's how close is Mark McKenzie to having a successful March under-23 CONCACAF Olympic qualifying cycle, okay. right? That's the benefit of this camp for Mark McKenzie. It's not mm-hmm. to establish himself above John Brooks and Matt Miazga. Yeah. He can't have a camp good enough to, right. to overtake either of those guys. He can have a camp where he was so impressive that he's definitely the U23 centre-back yeah. starter. And then he's learned a couple of tricks and he will be better in March than he would have been if he just spent January watching TV. And will almost certainly have been told like, and you need to work on this or like improve this a little bit. And then he's got a thing to improve that if he improves it, then it shows Berhalter like, oh, he's working and capable of kind of adapting. And if you think that stuff can't happen, Mm -hmm. listen to our Stu Holden interview from this week where he said his first call up was in January. Uh, Bob Bradley said to him, hey, you run around too much. Maybe you need to calm it down a little bit and focus what you're doing. That improved Stu Holden's game for that season. So the advice you get from the senior men's national team coach can be really helpful. If you spend three weeks with them, it's really helpful. Uh, I have nothing else to say because that feels like the perfect point of evidence to end on. So instead, let's move to some Twitter questions. Yes. Shall we? Quick fire. Uh, fire. uh, We're going to go quick fire? I'm excited for this. I mean, we're an hour in already. I've just got to put my my quick fire apparel on. It's a a jacket with flames. It's not a good look, but I only wear it for the quick fire I think it looks great. Thanks, buddy. Thanks. And the hat with flames, too. (laughs) Uh, Dimitri Dube. uh, Dubay, I believe. Dubay? Yeah. Excuse me. Dimitri Dubay uh, asks, what does Brian Keo, uh, his involvement mean for the midfielders who are older but not involved in January camp, like Brendan Cervania or Dotson? Uh, aren't there other U17 players that would have seemed closer to a January camp call-up, such as Ricardo Pepe or Gianluca Busio? So, I know Busio is in the U20 camp mm-hmm. that's currently taking place um, in Bradenton. I'm going to show my ignorance here. Who is Dotson? Um, he is a defensive midfielder. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I genuinely did not know that name. I think he I plays think. for Minnesota. Cool. All right, yeah. sweet. So, apologies, Minnesota. Apologies, Dotson. But I think it's one of those things where mm-hmm. if you're not U23, oh, maybe Savania and Dotson are U23 eligible. So it is It is weird. Mm-hmm. That I think Brian Keo is just the massive outlier yeah. that it's impossible to compare to everybody else because it's just odd that he's there. Yeah, right? but, uh, but I also think that it's odd that he's there, but his situation is odd. Again, 17 unattached. I think a lot of those guys, yes, there are camps that he could have gone into and maybe those guys could have been in this camp. But I also think those guys are going to return to preseason. Busio is going to have preseason with Sporting KC. We don't and really. Busio's with the U20s. Yeah, but then afterwards, I'm saying he'll go back to preseason with Sporting KC. Yeah. We don't know what KO will do because he's unattached. I see. So after this camp, maybe he'll go to a USL team, but maybe this is also an opportunity to like get him in with the senior team, and maybe that 
raises his profile a little bit. So like yeah. the USL championship team is now like, yeah, we'll take him for six months until he goes to Germany when he turns 18. Or he's super sharp when he goes over to Germany. Or that too. Yeah. Or um, that too. So I think we actually don't really know the answer to Dimitri's Mm-mm. question because Brian Kao's involvement is so different to everybody else's involvement. Yeah, I, yeah. I would I would say strangely. He's, we're, we're saying it's a 25-man roster as mm-hmm. well. It's not like he's on the 23. It's not like he's in the match day squad. I think normally, though, I would err on the side of like, no, if he's in the camp, it means he's like further along. I, I don't think I would say that with him. I wouldn't say he's not further along necessarily. I just don't think that that's why he's here. Yeah. He's not here because he's so close to being a regular player for the national team, as we've already established. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. Next question from uh, Morgan. Morgan yeah. Tenser. Um, how many of these players will actually make a first-team debut this year? Excluding the ones who are quote part of the group, I assume she means I could make get a first cap. Basically. Yeah, uh, and and Morgan preempted me here because I was going to say like Paxton Pomacall is probably head and shoulders above everybody, but he already has the yep. debut. That head has a cap on it already. It, it makes it a little bit harder. <laughs> um, I'm inclined to say maybe Justin Glad, j- just because I think so many of the players we've already talked about aren't quite where he is in terms of his career and his development. Yeah, and then I think uh, a ball playing center back who can possess the ball and dribble out when he needs to. That feels like a player that Berhalter might want to take a look at. I'm saying Mark McKenzie, but I think we're just biased towards the player that we um, that no, we. I, honestly, I would take McKenzie too because he okay. has because for everything you said about him with the U20s, but also the role he's had with Philly, yeah. and I think will be a bigger player. Austin Trusty gone now, so I think he'll have to step up and, and be an even bigger player for the Union. So I think that's also a solid shout, Daryl. The uncapped player I'd put money on getting mm-hmm. a cap against Costa Rica is Brendan Aronson. Yes. Because the thing I mentioned earlier about, he's already been in a, on a roster, yep. and the next progression would be to actually get on mm-hmm. the field. So that's the guy that I would really uh, really double down on. Okay, I like that yeah. one. So, so just your players. Just my players. All right, cool, just cool, 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 cool. Sean Brooks. Uh, Burhalter has consistently used a deep line playmaker Bradley Trap Ewell. Ewell is the only one with a passing uh, completion rate above uh, of 87% of above. That's decent, which is, I guess, the sign of a deep line playmaker, says Sean. Who else called into camp could compete for that role? Uh, from what you said, mm-hmm. Christian Kappas could compete for that role, yep. but mm-hmm. I don't think he's going to hit Jackson Ewell standards. Uh, no, I don't yeah. think so. I don't think so. The other option I've seen a few people mention is that maybe long-term Paxton Pomacal could be a number six. Hmm. hmm. But we've yeah. never actually seen it because he's played winger, he's played number 10, he's played number 8. So it would be a stretch for him to suddenly be the starting senior men's national team yeah. number 6. But maybe somewhere down the road, Paxton Pomaco could play that role. Yeah, I think my hesitation there was just only because I think of him as like a more attacking player. And so because of that, he's like in the attack category. So yeah. then I was just like, no, you Same. said the wrong Stuff, place. Right? But it took yeah. me a minute to be like, yeah, I could see that. I think it's also because we still haven't really, what, one game we've seen Tyler Adams. So I think we still haven't seen the person who we think is going to be our starting number six. Yeah. So I think because of that, then it still invites a lot of debate about like, who could it be? And maybe it's this or could we try that? But I think the reality is it's probably when he's fit, Tyler Adams and then Jackson Yule behind him. Interesting. In your head, at least. Oh, and then I guess Michael Bradley's in there, too. Good point. Forgot about the MB. River City 93. The Never Kickers. forget about Dre. Sometimes forget about Michael Bradley. <laughs> River mm. City 93. The Richmond yep. Kickers podcast. podcast. This mm-hmm. is Elliot, I believe, asking yep. this question. Um, do you believe this camp will be more about teaching guys the principles of play or the system, of the system? Or will it be used more as to see who can fit in with the core group of guys? Yes. Yeah, it's both, right? It's both. Those aren't two different things. I think if you're taught the principles of play that Berhalter likes, mm-hmm. then you become part of the core group of guys. Yes. Yeah? Yeah. I, I think I, I see. I think maybe Elliot is more in like 
my mindset of like who's the closest to being that and like so then it has to be like well then if some people are closer than others then are you developing those guys for squad them and then simultaneously teaching the other guys and i think it's sort of teaching everybody the same thing to see how they respond basically and then also maybe developing squad players from there so yeah i don't think they're mutually exclusive at all all right dan vaughan asks Mm -hmm. um if the january camp is how bearhalter stocks his quote-unquote group Mm -hmm. Does that mean we'll always have a core group from Major League Soccer and players from Europe will always have to be superstars to get time? Seems like a weird hurdle, almost the opposite of Jurgen Klinsmann. Um, yeah, I, I, I've had this same thought, and I think you and I have even talked about it at le- several times off air and then at least mm-hmm. once or twice on air. Um, it, it's my concern. I don't think that they will have to be superstars, though. I think, again, it's worth remembering how many injuries and how many like moves and weird little like extenuating circumstances have been problematic in 2019. So I think that's part of the reason why we haven't seen as many European-based players. What I think is more likely is instead of it being like there's always going to be this core group, I think there's always going to be that question about why aren't you looking at this person? Why haven't they called in this person? And I think it is it does start with January, but like afraid of Morales this season, they're kind of a sustained campaign of why know him, why know him, why know him, and yep. then eventually there was him once that kind of group was established. But it is also true that the only time mm-hmm. you can have, outside of like a tournament, mm-hmm. a summer tournament, the only time you can get the players together for like a, a concentrated period right. is January, mm-hmm. and the only players available in January are like 90% Major League Soccer players, so I think this might be a thing that if you're an MLS player, you do have a better chance of like sneaking into that group by being called up, learning the learning the positional play stuff, impressing Berhalter, and then sort of you hang on for dear life and mm-hmm. you're part of the roster. Whereas a player in Europe doesn't have the opportunity to come in and spend those three weeks. But it's not like a conscious choice by Berhalter. It's just it's just the situation. It just is how it is, mm-hmm. right? But is that I mean, is that better that it's just the situation? It is how it is because it's still the reality. Is that like yeah. They kind of do have a leg up, and it's part of it is yeah. that I think it's Christian Roldan has a leg up on mm-hmm. Dwayne Holmes in yeah. that sense. Yeah. Think, is it honestly? Is it just a matter of like when he was appointed? That if he had been appointed in May, like I, he doesn't have that January camp right away. I think it's that he's appointed in December, has the January camp, and that's yeah. his first time with the national team. Right, but then there'd be the next January camp, and players would spend a lot of time with him in that no. January camp, and then those players right. become more exposed to the methods. I'm just saying because literally the cycle starts in January yeah, yeah. this time around. Does January have more significance than if he had been appointed in June? I guess I yes, like it for probably the, does for the initial group. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. All right. All right. So a worrying thing, I would say, but maybe not as worrying. Only if you want to find things to worry about. Next question comes from Rich. (laughs) I will. Um, Have they Mm -hmm. used this roster as a chance to expose the U23s to mentoring and the new style of play, as was suggested pretty solidly on Scuffed? Scuffed, I believe, is some sort of football podcast? Football? Yeah. Like like throwball? Yeah. Okay. I I don't know why they would be talking about this, but I'll have to check it out. It's interesting. (laughs) Yes, we loved our friends at Scuffed. Um, And yes, I think that is precisely what this is. Yeah. Maybe not as much mentoring from player to player. That's probably a little bit of that, but I think I'm only... Not as inclined to go with that just because what you said, there aren't as many like established senior team veterans in this camp. Yeah. But I still think, yes, it's to be brought in to learn from pros, even just like how to play in a camp, what January camp is like. Yeah, and it doesn't. I do think we maybe get obsessed with mm-hmm. the Behalter principles of play yep. stuff. Part of it is just being exposed to senior players and the senior coaching staff, right? right? It's just getting more experience as a soccer player, right? That's, that's, part, that's what it's all about. Mm-hmm. Um, next question comes from Greg Margulis. Mm. Why not bring in a player like Emerson Heinemann instead of Sebastian Lejet or Christian Roldan? Get a new look at as many players as possible. Same goes for anyone else besides Zardes at striker. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as, as I said earlier, uh, Heinemann was 
initially called in. It's just Atlanta blocked that one. I didn't see him on the list. I saw Miles Robinson. Oh, you're right. You're right. You're right. Excuse Brad me. Brad Guzan. Huh. So may- maybe it was that Atlanta. We're going yeah, I mean, to reject no matter what. They but, wouldn't have let him go. But even and so, there's the backstory to that, right? Mm-hmm. That Miles Robinson was part of a squad. Yeah. Um, and then they have those. If you don't play in a game, they have like a little practice game afterwards oh, for the right. men's national team. And Miles Robinson got injured. I forgot about this. In that post-match practice game mm-hmm. and missed playoff games for Atlanta. Yeah. So there is a, I think there's a bit of Atlanta not being happy with the U.S. men's national team right now. So then why do you think Berhalter d- didn't want to go that route? Didn't want to go what route? Uh, didn't want to call in uh, Hyman over those other options. Well, I don't know if he did mm-hmm. or not, but I do think um, I, I disagree basically with the get a new look at as many players as possible mm-hmm. approach. Because I think if you are going to have the Bearhalter like uh, setup, you've, again, you've got to have some of the uh, players who already know it to make those sessions go well, mm-hmm. right? Okay. So that's why you look at you've got, say, Roldan and Lejet, and then you've got Anderson and Pomacal. Yeah. Uh, Two, there always are, a master and an apprentice. <laughs> um, and one final thing on this one, I just wanted to find it again because we, we had a question about where Hyman fits in with the national team. Mm-hmm. Uh, I asked Felipe Cardenas about that. It was on another show, but just to reiterate, he basically said, Berhalter will continue to invite MLS players to camp, so if Hyman performs well under DeBoer, he could have a shot this year. But the I US thought January was a shot, though. Well, we'll see what happens. But the U.S. midfield is pretty deep right now. As an attacking midfielder, he's going to have a tough time unseating some of Berhalter's preferred choices, so I think it goes to what you said, which is that he wants the people who've been there before, then the up-and-comers who can sort yeah. of learn a little bit from that. And I think Hyman is maybe, he's like the kid who's just moved outside of the age of still being like adorably cute. And that's where he is. He can't play U23s uh, qualifying no. in March, right? right? So that's why it's better to go with Aronson and Pomacar. There we are. Um, mm-hmm. All right. Rob IV, Rob mm-hmm. the fourth. Yep. Um, sure. Can Ferreira play the nine in the Bearhalter style? Uh, I think I'm the one uniquely positioned to answer this one, which is my way of saying, Daryl, you want to answer that one? I think yes. Okay. I think because of the thing we said, I said earlier about him being sort of a nine and a half, mm-hmm. where he's not like hanging on the shoulder of a defender. He likes to come deep. Right. I think that is part of what Bearhalter asks his striker to do, right? Mm-hmm. The part of the, the pattern of play that Bearhalter likes and that you definitely see the team perform is the number nine comes deep and shows, and then a winger like runs in behind him because hopefully the number nine has like dragged a defender out with him. And then there's some space to exploit, and then someone else goes in behind. Right. I think, and Ferreira's quite good at like combining with, uh, you know, come deep, like have a layoff, combine with teammates. Mm-hmm. So I actually think he will suit the system quite nicely. Right. And then to combine that question with Greg's question, once again, there's no Josie Altador in camp. Josh Sargent is not in camp either. Yeah. So if you want someone uh, for uh, Ferreira to learn from, yeah. it's going to be Josie Zardes, who's yeah. already done it a bunch under Berhalter. And I was kind of obviously making a Star Wars joke, yeah. the Master and Apprentice thing, mm-hmm. but I actually think that is a good way to look at this roster and the way. Um, but how to thinks about constructing rosters uh, in general. And historically, that policy worked out super well. So uh, hopefully they go that route too, I guess, and maybe bring somebody back for – I guess that means we're going to have to bring, like, what, Alexi Lawless back for, like, the next World Cup. That's how it works, <laughs> basically, based on Star Wars logic. Yeah. Perfect. The retired speak. <laughs> Oh, what a dumb intro. Adam Leahy, uh, what would you look at to determine if this camp was successful? What takeaways are you looking to get from this crop of players in January? This is a good question, but I think the answer is that we don't know. Because the only evidence we will have of this camp will be the televised game against Costa Rica. Mm -hmm. But you'll just see 90 minutes of soccer. You won't see much of the three weeks of work that has happened in camp, right? Mm-hmm. We don't like Mark McKenzie, for example, could play thirty minutes in this game. We don't we won't really know from that thirty minutes what strides he's made as a centre back in this camp. Mm-hmm. I think it's one of those things that is just somewhat behind the curtain and we just won't know. 
Yeah, and maybe maybe we've had a which long is a frustrating of, answer, but I think it's the the truthful answer. I think it is too, but I think that like it's been long enough for me seeing Berhalter in the national team. Maybe just other news has been even more bleak that it's maybe a little more optimistic about the national team this year. But I also think like we won't know right away coming out of January. I think we really will know in the ensuing months yeah, when in March players, maybe with you twenty three qualifying exactly or or if say Brian Kao as an example again very unlikely, but if we see him suddenly brought in for like the March uh, international or whenever the next international break is, like then that means they impress. So I think you can look at what comes after to see who stood out in this camp. So I think yeah. you're absolutely right. We won't know just based on performance. But I do also think we can learn a few things from the performance. If there is another very attacking left back coupled with an attacking right back, maybe that shows us a little bit of intent because we did see Berhalter try different things in that first oh, like January a, like camp. Like a new shape or like new patterns of play yeah. or a slightly different mm-hmm. system. Yeah. Or like if Pomacall is a number six or if certain people are played in different spots, it continues to show that there is is evolution and adjustment and trying different things, hopefully with it all building towards the U.S. looking somewhat competent in that February friendly. Yeah, it's almost like the two things are related, mm-hmm. but they're not necessarily hand-in-hand, hand, right? right. That, that game against Costa Rica could be like uh, make your eyes bleed mm-hmm. to watch, which January games often do. That just means that it wasn't a good spectacle, but it doesn't mean that the whole camp was unsuccessful. Agreed. Yeah. And here is my final thing I would say about this one because I think it's it, it's important is that with everything we've said, like there are people on this roster that were like Mark McKenzie could become a, a breakout national team player potentially. Yeah. Paxton Palmacall has already made an appearance, but he could be a more regular one. But I don't think there's anybody in here necessarily where like this person is definitely going to make that jump. I cannot wait to see them play. We have high hopes for lots of these players, and that's what I would say is just that you shouldn't realistically see any of these people as like they're definitely going to make that jump to the senior squad right away. Yeah. So if somebody does, it means they really, really, really stood out. And if they didn't, then it means it kind of went as we expected. Yeah. So I don't think there's a huge negative that could come out of this really in any way. I think that's, yeah, I think that's fair. And that, I guess, is progress. <laughs> <laughs> Final question. Yeah. Ben Carrion asks, with this camp seeming mm-hmm. more U23 oriented, do you expect Greg Behalter to try and implement all of his principles of play mm-hmm. or to be more pragmatic in his approach? I will tell you now, Greg Berhalter would hate this question. He really, really would. Because uh, it implies that his principles of play are not pragmatic. Right. I'm trying to think how he would answer that. With a, He'd stare at you for like five it would, seconds. It would be first. a five Mississippi pause. You're yeah. absolutely right. And then it, I think it would be a sort of like, I mean, I don't see why those two things have to be different. Yeah. Or, no, he'd say it better than that and yeah. be a little bit more harsh. But yes. And so we're not trying to answer this question as mm-hmm. Greg Berhalter. I think... If the coach himself doesn't see a delineation between these two things, mm-hmm. then he's not going to coach in a delineated way. No. Right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, but I think in the spirit of what Ben is asking, I'll take the jump and say that I think it's going to be more about getting people to play the way Berhalter wants as opposed yeah. to like it's not going to be, oh, we only have this few people, so instead we're going to play a back three because that makes more sense with this group. It's going to yeah. be can this group do what I'm asking of them, not can I do what they need me to do. Right, sort of. and he'll find out in January he if McKenzie can do what he's asking, he if Aronson can, mm-hmm. and so on and so on and so on. All right, I think we spent a long time with this uh, January roster. Um, do you want to very quickly just get into the uh, the couple of hires that have happened sure. at U.S. Soccer Oof, House? It's been so long, I forgot so we were going to do that. There have been yeah. two mm-hmm. U20 hires. The U.S. men's national team under-20s um, have a new head coach, mm-hmm. and the U.S. women's national team under-20s have a new head coach. Mm-hmm. Which one would you like to talk about first, Taylor? I think Laura Harvey. Okay. 
Let's start with Laura Harvey. All right. Because we talked about the possibility of this on one of our shows last week. And I will say I owe you an apology because I was sort of dismissive of you saying, like, I think she's going to take the U-20 job. Yeah. Because Laura Harvey is a uh, former coach at Arsenal, coached there for four or five years, I believe, has coached uh, in the NWSL at various points. She's a, four, I think, interim U-23 national team coach. She has lots of experience. That is a coach that I expected some country who's trying to, like, move up a little bit higher in the rankings or to move oh, up their okay. program. That I thought she was going to a national team. I thought she was going to a club team in England or France. Yeah. I think this is a huge get by the USU 20s and by Kate Margraff bringing her in. I really, really do. Interesting. All right. So why would Laura Harvey want the job then if you think maybe she was high profile enough and she mm-hmm. was high profile enough to take some theoretically more senior jobs? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a couple different reasons, but all of them, I guess, sort of lead to I think she wants the senior job someday. Mm. And she was, yes. if not a short list, then she was one of the candidates that Kate Margraff initially had. I believe According she, to an interview with Meg Lenahan yes. uh, and The Athletic, mm-hmm. uh, she was someone they spoke to. At right. Least. Yeah. And, and then I believe spoke to after about why she wasn't offered the job. And mm. then those conversations continued. And that led to her taking this job over the holidays. Yep. Was it that she looked mean in her headshot? That was it. That was the only <laughs> thing. That was the only thing. No, I mean, I think I love that headshot, and I and I do think that like it helps to be involved in the U.S. system if you want to be the national team manager. I think so too. And then another point that was made by a couple of different people, Kim McCauley, I think Meg Meg asked it in that article was like there's some criticism about your tendency or lack of a tendency to bring through young players and develop yeah. the youth, and you don't really need to develop young players for the U-20s because they're already young players who are developing. Yeah, you know what so I mean? Yeah. It's like you're not I, developing a 16-year-old to play for the 20s. You're developing a 20 to play yeah, for the 20s. Yeah, I don't find that to be a, right. a really useful criticism because it's not as if she's going to try and call a 30-year-old player into the under-20s, right. right? Exactly. So she's going to have under-20 Yeah, I know that players. didn't make sense because it's like you don't want the U-20 coach to develop young players. That's not what I mean. I just mean that like she's literally hamstrung by that age restriction, so yeah. she can only call in young players. Yes. But I do think that that probably then – if there were to be another another interview, Vlatko wins the World Cup, and then he says, that's enough for me, yep. and they're looking for somebody. Now she has the club coaching career that's very successful. Then with the U-20s, we mm-hmm. would assume, or at least we hope, will be successful, and then some of those questions are answered. The other appeal to the job is that qualifying for the mm-hmm. U-20 World Cup is yep. in February. So she is like in and at it, yep. and like things are happening straight away. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a hit the ground running like because the ground is moving yes. <laughs> kind of job. Yes. So that's kind of exciting, I think. Mm-hmm. If you're Laura Harvey. Mm. I saw, I did see a quick flash before also we started. Also from Utah, so used to the cold, so won't mind Chicago. She's from Nuneaton, Warwickshire. She's a West Midlands. Uh, Formerly West employed Midlands in Utah. Place. And then she's from, so she's used to harsh winter. She'll be fine. <laughs> She'll be fine. So that is the uh, U20s on the, the women's mm-hmm. side. Um, on the men's side, yeah. Anthony Hudson mm-hmm. has been hired as the U20 men's national team coach. Yep. Former Colorado Rapids coach. He was fired mid-season because they weren't doing very well. Connor Casey and then Robin Fraser came in and the team did much better. Mm -hmm. Um, This is not a hire that has got a lot of people excited. No, uh, but I think if you see it from one lens, it's a very smart hire. Why is that? So there's the old Calvin and Hobbes joke about how he's asked to shovel the walk and he just like makes intermittent paths that don't go anywhere and don't connect. And then you see Hobbes look at him quizzically and Calvin turns and says, sometimes if you do the job poorly enough, they don't ask you to do it again. And I feel like maybe they hired a coach that was going to be so controversial and so ill-received that we're not going to ask them to hire any more coaches. And then U.S. (laughs) Soccer doesn't have that headache anymore. That's my theory. They won't have to hire any more coaches. We'll we'll just stop asking because it's like if that's who you're all going to go with when we put you under pressure, (laughs) we will not put you under pressure anymore. 
Okay, that's one theory <laughs> for why Anthony Hudson was hired as head uh-huh. coach. What's a more? You're not, you're not buying that. I'm not. What's a more realistic theory? Why is this guy who just had a really unsuccessful season with uh, the Colorado Rapids? Mm-hmm. And by the way, I've got his stats as a coach in front yep. of me. I have his win percentage as Colorado Rapids coach in front of me, according to Wikipedia. Can you can you take a guess as to what it is? Uh, is it is it higher than zero percent? Let's start yes. there. So he did win a game. Yeah, off to a solid start. Has he won more than ten percent of his games that he's played? Yes. Has he won more than thirty percent of his games that he's played? No. Did not think so. Twenty six percent. Seventeen point three nine percent win percentage. Even worse. Yikes! I prices right at this one way out of my game. Yep. Uh-huh. Um, his whole career, his yeah. win percentage has been below fifty percent. Mm-hmm. The only time he has a higher win percentage is when he's been. A U23 coach mm-hmm. with Bahrain and a U23 coach with New Zealand. Mm-hmm. He's also had the senior jobs at Bahrain and at do you New know, Zealand. Do you have in front of you, was he concurrently the U23 and senior coach in New Zealand? Because I yes. feel like that's a thing they do. Yes, okay. he was. Yeah, He mm-hmm. was concurrently the U23 and senior coach with New Zealand. Got them to the World Cup playoffs, mm-hmm. which you kind of always get to the playoffs mm-hmm. in Oceania as New Zealand. Um, didn't get them to the World Cup. So ultimately unsuccessful as New Zealand coach. True. But I think you just said a thing in there that maybe is important if we want to maybe see this from Ernie Stewart's perspective, which is that the only time he's had success was when? With the U23s? Right. So when he's coaching yeah. U23s. So maybe coaching it's younger teams is a better It's a small sample size, right. though, right? Because mm-hmm. as U23 New Zealand coach, he played four games. As Bahrain U23 coach, he played 10 games. You know yeah. what I'm saying? I mean, that's we'll right. Or yeah. No, right. I mean, I, I do think that this is maybe an example of a coach who has a little bit of name recognition, not the type we want, was willing to live in Chicago, was willing to take that job. It is certainly a more desirable desirable position to coach the women's U20 team than it is the men's, I think, right now, given the state of the programs and sort of the way it's the federation is being perceived. Okay, I would accept that given that the women just won the World Cup. Mm-hmm. I would say this U20 job should be appealing because we do have good generations of talent coming up for for men's soccer. But I guess that path to the U.S. Women's National Team senior job is what's really appealing for Laura Harvey about the U-20s, whereas that's not necessarily the case with the men's U-20s. You're you're also talking on the field. I'm talking off the field. If you're you're an up-and-coming coach or a coach who has lots of success at youth levels, I just feel like we've heard a lot of stories about the way things are with U.S. soccer that I don't know, even if you have that pedigree, even if you do have this opportunity to work with very promising young players, there still might be enough like bureaucratic framework, like office politics, stuff like that, that might be make you less inclined to take a job in Chicago. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. All right. I want to like, I'm not excited about this hire, mm-hmm. but I would say that the, maybe the thing US soccer are thinking of, here's a young coach. He's only 38 years mm-hmm. old with 10 years coaching experience. And he's coached two different national teams, right. including their uh, U23 setup. I can see how on paper that kind of makes mm-hmm. it um, an appealing hire, um, especially if you're struggling for other candidates, right? Right. That that doesn't mean I'm. That's not me saying that's why this is a good hire. But it's me saying this is why it kind of makes sense. I think if you're Ernie Stewart, just because there's a little bit of experience. Yeah, like, because, isn't that the bare has, minimum for what you should be looking for in a job, though? Not really, because people get hired for national team jobs without ever having national team experience. True. R- Rafael right? Vicky, what had only managed uh, in the Swiss League like one year and yeah. then got laid off. So, yeah, okay. I think you get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's my sort of rationale for maybe why Anthony Hudson got the U20 mm-hmm. job. Okay. There is a camp happening in Bradenton, Florida right now. The players were selected before Anthony Hudson got the job. But at the end of camp, there are two friendlies against Mexico. So we will have a feeling for how this is going 
pretty soon, right? Mm-hmm. If he beats Mexico twice, suddenly everyone's like, all right, let's give this Hudson guy a chance. If we lose twice to Mexico, I think we're off to a bad start. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I think that is correct. Yeah. <laughs> Back, backwards momentum is what that will be. Yeah, I think, I think I'll just – my final point on this one would just be that like – I have yet to see anybody say like, okay, but here's the thing. Like, yes, he was unpopular, but he did this. Or yes, it wasn't really working, but he's done this previously. And I hear everything you've said, but I have heard much more of like historically unpopular, threw his players under the bus, his own players yeah. have come out and said he wasn't a very good coach or they didn't enjoy playing under him. It was Jared Watts yeah. who, who, to be fair, did leave the Rapids right. um, mm-hmm. after preseason. And so didn't really play for Hudson, but mm-hmm. had a preseason with Hudson and tweeted after the hire that – I knew after preseason we were going to have a bad year. Fair. Yeah. But I, I just I, – I would love to have seen somebody say like, but I thought we might have a good year. Like I have yet to see a piece that's sort of going into yeah. why he makes sense, why it could theoretically work out. Yeah, yeah. And I think because I've only seen negative stuff and negative coverage and especially negative stuff from people I respect and think are very well informed yeah. and trust – that is so where some of my well, uh, yeah, you're up there. You're yeah. you're like you're like in the B category. No, of course. Uh, but I think that's where some of my negativity slash trepidation comes from. Yep. Okay. So I guess we'll just have to watch this one unfold yes. and see how it goes. Mm-hmm. We'll see how it goes. Um, so yeah, that is all the news we, we've got about U20 um, hirings. Mm-hmm. I think we did a good job introducing or getting to know the lesser known U, uh, senior men's national team yep. January camp uh, players a little better. That is all the Total Sock Show for this week. It was wow. a bumper Thursday episode. We will be back. So much so that it is only four hours until it's no longer Thursday. <laughs> so we will close by saying, Taylor Rockwell, thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. Right back at you, buddy. Listeners, thank you for listening, and we will talk to you again on Monday. Monday.